Give it a listen. Perfect mm-hmm. song for a roller coaster. I'll bring that up. All right. Merci d'avancer le long du studio et de ne pas utiliser de flash ni de caméscope. Comme vous le constatez, le groupe est en train de procéder au tout dernier réglage technique concernant la musique de la nouvelle attraction que vous allez être parmi les premiers à découvrir. Please move all the way into the studio and remember to refrain from flash or video photography. As you can see, the, the band is making some last-minute tweaks right on the new ride right and music uh, technology like that. that you're going to be among the first to experience. What a crowd, what a mob, what a ride, what an experience, Ali! Unreal. I was on the track going like this, right? One, two, three, four, I got one down to here. And I thought I was going to lose it, and I felt like I was hearing... Going down! On vient de m'informer que nous sommes prêts à accueillir nos VIP dans la zone d'essai pour leur voyage test. En direct, le groupe va se balader. Pour ceux qui veulent les suivre en vibrant au son du rock and roll, c'est par ici. Looks like the band is going for a ride. If you'd like to go with them to rock and roll, walk this way. Welcome to episode 17 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, all things magical and Disneyland Paris. I am Andrew Williamson and I'm joined by Simon West. Hello, hello. Each Magical Disneyland Paris podcast episode will have a different focus, be it an attraction, restaurant or special element of the Disneyland Paris world. This episode we are focusing on rock and roller coaster avec Aerosmith. We will also hand over to you, the listener, and discuss your views and opinions. Uh, we're also joined today by our special guest. He is one of our biggest fans on Twitter. It is Alan, and it's Café Fantasia. Hello, Alan. Hello, Alan. I'm here. <laughs> you confused me then. I was like, well, my name isn't Alan, is it? Simon, your big, name isn't Alan. I am the biggest fan, yeah. Huzzah! Um, <laughs> there's been no um, vote or any um, special research done to uh, clarify the quote that Alan is our biggest fan, but uh, seeing as though he's probably sent in thousands of lines of emails, um, we can definitely say that he is up there as one of our biggest fans. Since we last spoke, Simon, you've been uh, acting um, and directing and writing, I believe, in Edinburgh? I have, yeah. I've been up at the Fringe, which has uh, contributed to the delay in this podcast coming out. Um, But I had a good time, and I've now spent all the money that I was hoping to use on a DLP trip, but, you know, what can you do? (laughs) Do. do you have a fringe now as well? No. In fact, I came back and got a haircut. So I went to the fringe and then came back and had no fringe. Crazy. Well, there we go. Alan, have you got a fringe? I, I, I could do, but I tend to blow dry it up. Up. In ah, upward yes. orientation. Ooh. <laughs> Very nice. 
there you yeah, go. Yeah, I haven't got much of a fringe left because mine's starting to fall out. So we'll, let's, we'll, we'll move away from the hair chat now. Um, um, so, yeah, it's, it's great to have you on board, Alan. Thank Obviously, you. Obviously, uh, we sent you over, uh, well, we sent you over to Walt Disney World. No, we didn't. Um, you, you, did, you kindly paid for me to go to Florida for two weeks to uh, we did, yeah. research Rock and Roller Coaster. So we want your opinions later on as to uh, what's the same, what's the, what's different, what are your opinions. Uh, we'll yeah. cover that later on. Quick overview, we're going to go through the brief history, and I've only got four bullet points for this, because the main history of it is what it's like at the moment, really. So we'll look at the history, the current attraction, what we would think about will happen in the future. Uh, we'll obviously also go to your listener opinions, uh, reviews, and then we'll end up with some uh, sponsor messages and stuff like that. So um, brief history. Uh, obviously, it's located in the Walt Disney Studios in the back lot. It opened in March on March the 16th in 2002. And as we mentioned there, um, when Alan's been riding it at Walt Disney World, at Disney Hollywood Studios, it opened in July, or oh, sorry, I keep saying in, on July the 29th, 1999. Um, Interestingly, yeah, that, was when, that was when Steven Tyler was 51. And today he is 69. Today? Well, not his birthday, but just uh, <laughs> in this current year, he's 69 years old. So it gives you an idea of how long the attraction's been around for. Blind. Wow, no, that really does put it into yeah. perspective, doesn't it? I'm amazed he was 51 when it opened. Yeah. Makes that's old as well. Well, it's not real wow. anymore now. I'm getting closer <laughs> to that age. Aerosmith's not current at all, is it? I mean, to no. be honest, it sort of vaguely was when it opened. But wow, that's, uh, I mean, I'm an Aerosmith fan, but that, yeah, I, I realise now if I was, I don't know, the age that I was when I initially went on Rock and Roller Coaster, I'd be going on being like, who? What? What's all this about? Now, were you an Aerosmith fan before you had taken a ride on the uh, Rock and Roller Coaster? I wasn't, no. You weren't? So was it no, this I ride wasn't. that made you interested in Rock and uh, Yes, and I now love Aerosmith. So yes. roller coasters can change people, definitely. But, uh, so, I mean, I can't imagine nowadays, because I would have been, I don't know, sort of early teens, I guess, when I would have first ridden this. Um, and I can't imagine teams nowadays coming off it and being like, boom, I'm going to look up Aerosmith <laughs> really into them. <laughs> so what about you, Alan? Um, were you yeah, a I fan? Mean, I, Are you, do you like the Aerosmith music? I do, but I, I guess the attraction did make me more aware of their music, definitely. I mean, I would have known their... F I kind of... My reference point with uh, Aerosmith is Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> 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 Basically... I'm sure it is for many people as well. Robin Williams doing the vacuum cleaning. Um, but then you come off that ride and then you start looking up their songs and researching stuff. If you're, yeah, think... if you're, if you're a geek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're with, you're with two fellow geeks here today, yeah. Alan, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> I definitely um, became a fan of Aerosmith. Well, a fan of Aerosmith, no. I, I love the songs that are on this attraction. So I like to say I like Aerosmith music and I listen to other songs, but I only really, really like the ones that are on this attraction. So again, like you, Simon, this has kind of inspired me to download their music via Apple Music now these days, probably illegally before then. But um, <coughs> it, yeah, but <clears throat> no one's listening to this part; it's fine. Um, but yeah, um, think looking at the date there, two thousand and two is when it opened with the park. Uh, I visited in two thousand and three, and I didn't even know anything about Disneyland Paris really at the time when I first went. Um, when I was with the sixth form uh, as a trip uh, with the, my, my friends and my teachers, um, so obviously I was there like a year later. So the park had only been open a year, um, so to me it was well. I, it, 
he could have been there for years beforehand to me. I didn't really know that. But looking back, it was obviously only there for a year, really fresh. Um, and then again, my friends, 15, 16-year-old, we didn't know who Aerosmith were, really. We knew um, Walk This Way, we've run DMC, but that was about it. Mm. I actually have a couple of things to say about the uh, like the origins. Yeah, go on. Just that um, <clears throat> when I was on holiday at Disney World in 98, they were building the original attraction. So I saw it. Yeah. I saw it under construction through a construction fence. And at that stage, it was just the track and they were building, you know, the framework of the building around it. So that was kind of cool to see the original ride under construction. The uh, roller coaster, I mean, obviously you don't get to see it anymore mm-hmm. uh, outside of the show building. But it's it's a really scary looking thing. When you see, like, <laughs> I've only seen photos of it being constructed. Uh, and there is actually a an external version of it in a park in Holland that's a very, very similar roller coaster. Yeah. But it looks terrifying. I'm To be honest, I'm really glad you can't see it in a Disney theme park because I'd imagine you'd sort of see this huge, great roller coaster that's, you know, hidden away in a show building, often quite far away from the park, uh, you know, in, in terms of how it's, uh, the direction's angle, so you definitely can't see it. You can't see the size of the show building. You'd be so put off by it. It's a really intimidating-looking roller coaster. Google it. Google image it now. <laughs> I think that's the thing with, uh, the good thing about Disney coasters in general, isn't it, that so much of the track is hidden that you really can't see what you're going to get into until you're on the ride itself. Yep. So if you're scared of roller coasters, they're kind of a they're kind of a good place to start, aren't they? Because you you're not intimidated by, by all the track work. You just see the station, or you see you know a tiny part of the track outside, like in the case of Big Thunder Mountain or something like that. I've said this on many a podcast before, especially the Space Mountain one. Um, if it wasn't for rock and roller coaster being in the dark, I definitely wouldn't be a fan of roller coasters now. I've been to Blackpool Pleasure Beach before, never wanted to go on any roller coasters there, especially the big one um, with that really big drop. But because it was inside, I was managed to be persuaded to get inside the building um, and take a ride on it, and I loved it ever since. Um, so I don't mind. I, I love going on roller coasters outside now as well, uh, where you can see all of the uh, the track. But it it is a big difference having it in the, in the dark. Yeah, of course it's a bit of a ploy really because uh you know they, they you know hide it all away so you can't see it but then of course in rock and roller coaster immediately as you go into the station you come out of the uh, pre-show and then bam right there is the launch sequence which is honestly one of the most terrifying things i think i've ever seen it's all sort of like flashing lights going on the countdown that's terrifying so scary yeah that's definitely like an intimidating sight isn't it as you come mm-hmm. out of the pre-show to see to see the launch and just to see the train static and then just within a second it's just disappeared completely yeah, not 57 miles an hour in under three seconds, 2.8 seconds. Wow. But interestingly, it's not the fastest Disney coaster anymore. No. Do you know what the uh, fastest one is? Uh, that one, that the risk one, um, oh, test track. <laughs> well, that's not Texas, that's not Texas Key Roller Coaster, is it? Okay, so not that one then. What <laughs> is is California so, Screaming faster than this? I don't think, I don't I think so. The fastest one is uh, the Tron Light Cycle Power Run at Shanghai. Oh, ah. That goes to 62 miles per hour. Oh, just pips it then. Just yeah, and, it. and so Test Track, which, you know, is not a roller coaster, but uh, that goes up to 64.9. That's the fastest Disney ride, I think. Disney attraction, yeah, rather than yeah. roller coaster, yeah. Vekoma created this uh, roller coaster, um, similar, uh, well, they, the company created uh, Space Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain. Yeah, they did Big Thunder, yeah. Yeah, so they've definitely done three uh, in the Disneyland uh, Paris 
parks. So yeah, let's go on to the actual attraction as it is today, because we've kind of discussed that anyway uh, to start with. So the story, um, obviously, because there's a version in America as well, the story of the Paris version is completely different. So the Aerosmith, uh, the band are working with engineers and have created a new experience, a new music experience at the uh, record company studios. Now, I've no idea who would go to a record company studio (laughs) to uh, experience such a thing. Um, and I don't think um, Abbey Road Studios has the space for anything like this, so that's probably why they went to uh, Tour de Force Records. But after watching <laughs> the pre-show, which we'll get onto um, later on, and going back to Armageddon, actually, I don't think we'll be saying pre-show as many times as we did at the on the Armageddon episode. Oh, I hope um, not. Because <laughs> um, Simon's already had a couple of glasses of wine, and uh, if we're playing the uh, drinking game with uh, pre-show, then uh, I don't think he'll be able to speak by the end of the show. <laughs> so Steve Tyler's there hyping up all the guests uh, is getting you to uh, board the uh, sound trackers which we're going to talk about uh, for this new experience um, the good thing about these sound trackers is they all have their own theme now there's how many is there again there's five of them I could probably tell you that I've been on one or two of them but after after that I can't even think of the different five um, like light shows and different tracks obviously I'm looking through the list I've heard them all um, but I probably couldn't have put them together, really. But it's such an amazing idea having a different uh, light and sound show on each vehicle, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Which one's your favourite one? Um, I'd probably say Soundtracker 3, looking at the songs that they use, just because yeah. it's uh, Love in an Elevator and Walk This Way. See, um, good choices, actually, good choices. What about you, Simon? Go on. Um, well, my favourite song is uh, is Sweet Motion, and uh, that has its own has its own sound. Tracker yeah. and a blue light show, that's Soundtracker 5. To quickly run through what they all are. Um, so the first one is a green and yellow light show, which plays Back in the Saddle and Dude, Dude looks like a lady. Uh, second soundtrack has a pink light show, uh, plays Young Lust, Fine and Love in an Elevator, or Love in a Roller Coaster, I think it's actually uh, twisted yeah. too. Uh, Soundtracker 3 has a multicolor light show, plays Love in an Elevator and Walk This Way. 4 is a red and yellow light show with Nine Lives. And 5, obviously the best one, blue light show, Sweet Emotion. Now, I like um, the fact that Sweet Emotion is actually a live version, because obviously with all the uh, lights going around and the trussing, and it does feel like you're at a concert. So hearing some of the audience screaming and the atmosphere that that adds to it, I suppose that one should be probably the best one. Uh, but for me, um, it's got a story behind it as well. Soundtracker 1's my favourite. Now, I don't like green or yellow, so it's not the lights. Um, but because Dude looks like a lady's on there. Again, I can't remember if I've mentioned this story now, but I'll say it again if I haven't. When we were on Rock and Roller Coaster back in 2003, uh, we were on there, and for some reason, the light show kept going on, but the uh, onboard music completely stopped. It was just silent, and it was really weird. But it was actually in the middle of playing Dude Looks Like a Lady, and at one point, um, when it when it went dead, I just as it was going down one of the hills, I just shouted, "Dude, looks like a lady!" And everybody in the whole soundtracker just started clapping and cheering, and everyone joined in. <laughs> so it was for me that was a really big experience that I've never forgotten, and that's my favourite soundtracker. I think when the uh, when the music stops, you realise how much of how important it is to the experience. Yeah, when, yeah. Know, when you ride when you ride it silent, you just you know you realise that that's a very integral part of the uh, attraction it, it feels it feels really hollow if you've never uh, ridden it silent then lucky you because it, yeah it because i certainly thought you know I, the last time i was on it, actually there, there was no music playing but weirdly you know you still you still have the stuff at the start which was weird um but then there was no music once you got into it and it just suddenly it feels so hollow everything feels so barren you know you mm. feel like you're really missing something it's it's a 
it, honestly, it's a really bad experience, to be perfectly honest. I don't know why they... They're like, we, we got off at the end, and we were like, you know, the sound's not working. They were like, yeah. We were like, well, it's not, it's not right without it. You can't do that. It, you know, it, I guess it would be like going to a concert, and the band's like, I, nah, it's not going to work today. We'll play the live to you, Go for it. It's interesting that they never do the parades without the music. I wonder how that would go down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just Mickey Mouse just waving. But there's yeah, no music. It's miming. Not everybody else dancing <laughs> to nothing. <laughs> yep. Um, the other version of this in Holland, uh, the Express Coaster, as it now is, um, that actually goes a little bit faster at launch uh, because they don't have the music hardware on there, so don't actually play any onboard uh, tracks to that. I just wonder what that's actually like because obviously we're saying here that it adds a lot to our version that it's got the music and the light show. Um, so I wonder, is it, because it's outside and there's more to see, does that add an extra element that the music kind of does in the dark? Um, I, can't, I can't really imagine it. I'm just guessing. Replace the music? No, it's probably just very plain and boring, isn't it? Having like any normal rollercoaster. Yeah, it'd just be like you're at an ordinary theme park. There's no none of the Disney difference. Mm, definitely. Uh, to give a bit of background to that, so in between uh, Vacoma building uh, the Floridian version and the Parisian version... Uh, they also built a, a very near identical version of the roller coaster in a park called Willoughby in Holland, uh, which is was originally called Superman the Escape, I think, uh, and is now called Express Platform 13. Um, and it's it's almost identical, except for, as Andrew was saying, when they, obviously the, the trains there don't have the speakers on board, so they're lighter. Um, so apparently they, they end up getting launched faster. So they had to make the, uh, it's a rollover loop that you go into first. They had to make that larger to sort of counteract the speed and slow the trains down for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the roller coaster, which I find a really a really weird thought. Now I don't I don't know if either of you know uh, how an LSM uh, launch works, but I can't understand why if the train weighs less, you wouldn't just launch the train slower instead of doing it at the same speed and then making the first inversion a bit taller to counteract that. That seems like a really expensive way to go about things. <laughs> what does LSM actually stand the for? Train. Linear, on, tell me what... linear synchronous motor. There you go. I think. Yeah. And I, read that I don't know how it works. Though. I read that they changed the launch in Paris in uh, last June, June 2016. I didn't hear that. Did you read that? It was from ED92 Live, so that's the source. <laughs> but um, I think it was that they used to have... I mean, I don't know... How, if it's true or not, but I'm assuming that it is, but I think they simplified the mechanism that it used to be like a pusher vehicle below the main ride rails that would, um, you know, push the train along. On yeah, It had its yeah. own separate track below. And then come yeah. back. And then they've just simplified it to be totally magnetic, I think. Oh, really? Oh, because I thought... That's what I understand, but I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I maybe, yeah, maybe that has, that is what they've done. I thought it still worked on a sort of catch car. Um, yeah, and then it's the it's the catch car that has the sort of the magnetic stuff, the power, on it, yeah, and then it exactly, gets yeah. yeah, it gets propelled along by magnets. Um, yeah, because um, on Vac- I don't think it was Vacoma's website, but there's a website all about uh, roller coasters that I found some information on, um, and it talked about the LSM. Um, it said that it replaced, it obviously it replaces the traditional lift hill. It doesn't contain any moving parts. Hmm. So whether that's been updated for the latest update or it's always been that case, I'm not 100% sure. But, um, yeah, if it's magnetic, then obviously there's no need for moving parts, is there? Unless, there's, obviously, it's magnetic to rise it off the uh, the tracks a little bit and then the car underneath is then going really, really fast and then 
Yeah. I don't know. Maybe someone can reply with the actual, yeah, yeah. true answer about that. Yeah. Which is, a uh, magnet, Simon... of course, being different to something like uh, Space Mountain, which I think uses, I think it uses a catapult system because they couldn't make the magnets work on an incline or something. But yeah, magnets but is how you, how you uh, normally do roller coasters, I think. A it's a cable, it. isn't it? For it's a cable launch for Space Mountain. That's it. Something that winds up really fast, like a piece of the rope pulls you up the hill. I wouldn't like that to go snap. <laughs> Well, that's no, I think that's why they replaced it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> so, it know, would actually shoot you. It would shoot be... you off to the moon, really, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll probably come back to the actual uh, track and the, light, the ride layout itself, but we're going to kind of go in order. Um, so we'll look at the shore building first. Now, to be honest, it's probably one of the most boring shore buildings. If anything, I don't know. Armageddon might gonna... be more interesting. I was going to say, yeah, that area of the park probably has Disney's two most ugly attractions they've ever built in a very short, a very confined space. <laughs> I'm assuming you mean this and Armageddon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the outside of the Rock and Roller Coaster in Paris is a bit of a, a letdown compared to the one in Florida. It's very cool in Florida. Yeah. It's very cool. It's, you know, it's nice and smart there. They have that huge guitar, but in Paris it's a bit like a kind of fairground... <laughs> Attraction because he's got this. Well, it's yeah, it's like it's temporary as well, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of scaffolding and it's just a big painted flat. Looks like it's been done with like aerosol, like spray paints or something. <laughs> and they've got a big CD which kind of dates it, doesn't it? Yeah, very I much. Tw- so I tweeted a few years ago and I actually saying, well, surely even if it was just a really simple update, they should have put like a pen drive or something there because most people, <laughs> like, nowadays it would have been um, like a smartphone, obviously, because that's what most people use to get their music. To be honest, if actually, if they start, if the if the original attraction had a vinyl, then it would have actually still been in date if the vinyl was still there now, because obviously vinyl's coming back to a lot of yeah, core music listeners, and it would have made more sense with it being the record industry. Yeah, yeah, vinyl was more timeless. Yeah, exactly. At least they didn't put a mini disc up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do have a little bit of theming around some flight cases are outside I, I believe there's one somewhere that plays music I can't remember which one it is now um, I mean aren't, aren't the uh, fast pass machines themed as flight cases yeah the flight pass the flight pass fast pass are flight <laughs> cases as well yeah yeah. Um, a lot of the time as well if you walk in in that concrete area you'll see the uh, the barrier in front of the entrance as well because it will be uh, 101 every now and then um, every, every time I've been, seemed to have been Disneyland Paris, it's always been down, like most of the major rides now, um, at least once yeah. a year. Although or, it seems it's more year. reliable than Big Thunder Mountain. Oh, well, anything's more reliable <laughs> than that at the moment. Yeah. What it really needs is a 13-month uh, refurbishment. <laughs> then it'll be off every <laughs> hour. <laughs> <laughs> so that it can break down more often. Yeah, yeah exactly. At least it'll have cool effects, though. Yeah. That sometimes work. When the smoke works, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the cool bit about the show building is that it's in Studio 8 and Studio 9, because it's so big. Where's the differentiation between those two? Is one the sort of the, the station, and then the other one's the building at the far end where the roller coaster actually is? No, um, if you look at uh, the Google Maps and you're in the kind of 3D view, Studio 8 and Studio 9 are the same building, really. It's just got a number 8 on one side on the left and a number 9 on the other side just to try and make it themed as two separate studios, really. You're right. To make the studio um, park look a little bit bigger when it was built, they had to pretend there was sort of a bit more than there actually was. Yeah, that's what it and looks like from the, Google Maps. That's called the uh, Gravity Building, isn't it? Is it? Yep. Yes, the actual show building. Yeah. Where the roller coaster is. Yeah, exactly. The, the big building with all the 
the main coaster track in it. That's called the Gravity Building. Do we know why it's called the Gravity Building? Because after the launch, you depend on gravity. Ah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Come to think of it. <laughs> Come on, Simon. <laughs> And um, once you're inside the building, though, um, you look at the pre-show in the queue area because even honest, even before you get inside the actual building, the queue area outside there's nothing to it at all. No. It's just back and forward <laughs> cattle gates. You don't even get to see anything. There's like a couple of trees on the side, and if you if you're lucky, you can maybe see inside uh, motors action, the garage, or maybe see a few people walking past as they're coming out. But there's nothing at all happening there, is there? It's a nice bit of corrugate. Metal above your head at the time. Well, it's painted, part of it's painted purple to go in with the theme. A sort of faded purple that it, they occasionally touch up, but. Yeah. Well, this was the whole trick at the time, wasn't it? That they were saying that they were going for a, a sort of realistic studio backlot theme. So, you know, you can't argue that it looks ugly. You know, it just looks all. It's supposed to be authentic. But, of course, we all know <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have enough money to do anything else. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, going back to the show building outside, um, I think it's near the fast pass um, areas. The um, there's lines painted on the floor as if it's a place where buses and coaches can park. They're just really big, long white lines that looks like yeah. a coach park area. Like, I, was there was they, there originally the court? Like, there was like a tour bus outside, yeah, wasn't there? At one point, exactly. An Aerobus, uh, not an Aerobus, an Aerosmith tour coach, I guess. Which I think is, I think on some Google Maps images or is it Apple Maps, you can see it parked backstage, like behind Discoveryland somewhere. <laughs> I, lo- I love the idea that they've still got it, but they're just, ah, oh, no, don't put it out. Don't put it out. They're saving it as a new attraction for next year. Well, that'll, be, that'll, that'll be the addition to the, um, the studios tour. Yeah. Put that put the next to the uh, 101 Dalmatians vehicles. Well, I mean, when the, when the trams start breaking down, they'll just put you on an Aerosmith bus and drive you <laughs> That would actually be quite a really good tri- uh, attraction, though. I mean, that, it would be a way of sprucing it up, wouldn't it? <laughs> With some uh, groupies in the back of the tour bus. <laughs> as the uh, water's rushing down the uh, canyon. Anyway, that's, that's, that's for a different podcast. That's your, um, your, own, your own fantasy there. Sorry, yeah, I'll, I'll come back to the podcast. Um, <laughs> once, yeah, so once you've actually got past the queue area, to be honest, the queue isn't like uh, really, really long, is it? Really, for rock and roller coaster, you're not really outside for long, um, so it doesn't really matter because sometimes you can kind of walk on into the main queue area. You go through the two de force entrance or the record entrance when you've got the uh, big guitar strings, which kind of need uh, tightened up and tuned in because they're really floppy and really limp, um, hanging on the side of the reception desk. And then you've got um, the nice guitars in the case with the nice flashing lights. Um, and the first few times you actually ride a rock and roller coaster and you do see them, they are actually quite interesting. Um, but and I suppose once every trip as well, it's nice to have a little look at them and remember whose guitars what and uh, what memorabilia is there. But after a while, if you're doing it three or four times on the trip, it kind of blurs into the background, doesn't it? Do we know if they've ever changed these? Because, I mean, we, we were talking earlier about how Aerosmith is a bit dated, so I can only imagine that some of these uh, items of memorabilia, however awesome they are, I wonder how much of the sort of Disneyland audience nowadays would actually know who any of these people are. Because I wonder if I would, to be honest. I can't I can't quite remember what exactly is there, but... 
Well, as you know, I take a lot of young students every year, although we're not going anymore because uh, I've had oh, 10 I'm years new. of it. Yeah, I've had 10 years of it, and I can, I, in the back of my head, I'm thinking that my luck will run out, so something bad will happen next time, so I'm not going again. <laughs> also, the prices went up. It's been quite expensive at the moment, so um, we're not going again. But going with students, and I've been going doing it for 10 years now, and there was actually, the first few times I went, not many students knew a lot of the music and the bands that were in, that featured in there. But as years have gone on, it's, it's now cool to know a lot of old rock bands. So it's actually becoming quite popular again, a lot of the old music. So they did actually know quite a lot. Some of them knew more than I did. That's really cool. So Rock and Roller Coaster, as an attraction, can have a second wind now then. Especially like, if you come from it's my It's so scale. old, it's cool again. Yeah. <laughs> it's vintage now. It's vintage There's now, yeah. There's hope for Dinotopia. There's hope for Dinotopia. <laughs> <laughs> Once you've managed to get uh, past the guitars and you've kind of dodged the little children who are hanging off all the uh, guitar strings that are hanging up, you get then into another kind of cattle grid area, aren't you? Cattle grid, cattle pen area, where you've got all the uh, the posters on the walls and you've got that nice glassed-off area with loads more guitars and uh, drum skins and bits of... Uh... I should have really wrote a list of what was actually in here rather than just mm-hmm. saying autograph memorabilia. Does anybody know what's actually in there? There's some gold records of some uh, rock artists as well. But I wasn't really Recommend interested in what was there. YouTube walkthrough video. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I haven't actually. Players. I haven't made it. I haven't made a list of all the uh, items that you see there. So no, can't help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be great commitment to podcast research, wouldn't it? Going through and taking note of every single one. Yeah, well, that's what I was expecting. Come on. That's <laughs> Sorry, why, that's why we asked our biggest. I apologize. That's why we asked our to biggest be, fan on this episode. To be honest, the queue is often so short that you don't really have an opportunity to look at that stuff. You can just walk straight past it, can't you? Yeah, yes, I don't, I'd be honest, I don't remember, I don't, certainly don't remember queuing in the outside area for an incredibly long time. And I, I find this interesting, actually, and I, I'd love to hear about what the queue were like, was like in America, Alan, because my memory of uh, the American one is that it has massive queues, queues up to sort of an hour, maybe longer, whereas the one in Paris, despite there being far less in the theme park around it, seems to not really pick up a queue at all. Yeah, it's. I mean, I guess it's to do with the attendance of that whole park park isn't it it's very general but I mean, yeah it's odd because it is a major attraction except it doesn't have except nobody wants to go on it basically yeah i mean i i would imagine also possibly you have the fact that it has a very large capacity compared to something like crosses coaster or tower of terror but yeah, yeah it, it always strikes me as weird that <laughs> europeans we love our roller coasters and disney doesn't have that many of them obviously paris has more than most disney theme parks disney resorts but yeah still rock and roller coaster it is is as a roller coaster, it's a fantastic one, and it is good fun. So it's always struck me as weird that 10, 15-minute queue, maybe. It's not much for a roller coaster. I always think that the coasters are maybe too intense in Paris, that they may have maybe overdid them at the time. Quite possibly. I, cer- I certainly think Space Mountain is a, uh, it's, uh, it's a tough yeah, one. Yeah, um, you know, it put, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people who just won't go on it. It's just too much for them. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the ride in a minute, but I, I personally... I, I, I think it's a it's a fantastic roller coaster that's really smooth, and I don't think it's too big. But anyway, we'll get on to that. We're still on the queue. I'm mm. jumping ahead. <laughs> yeah, um, in the area where the memorabilia is, 
if you are sad enough like me to put your ears against the other studio doors, uh, you can hear some audio of um, another band and some engineers setting up. Um, you can hear them talking about turning volumes up and stuff like that. Have any of you guys noticed that before when you've like stuck your head to the other doors? <laughs> I, funnily enough, I don't go around sticking my head against doors. So. Well, oh, you well. should, Alan. <laughs> this will teach you. <laughs> I so, but you that no, but I'll look out for that next time. Yeah, so if you, so if Alan doesn't know this, then obviously there's loads <laughs> of people out there that don't know this. Um, but yeah, if you're <laughs> lucky enough, well, unlucky enough to be stuck in the pre-show area or in the, in the queue, yeah, if you look at, I, can't remember, I think it's Studio B or Studio A, I can't remember which one it is now. But yeah, if you if you're standing next to one of the doors, it's obviously a fake door. There's actually a speaker behind it, and you can hear a guitar tuning. And you can hear some uh, engineers talking, so it's, I think it's a nice little touch. Again, that's something that Disney do, other theme parks don't do. Just like Absolutely. they would have to spend a little bit of time recording that, coming up with the idea in the first place, and then actually engineering the building so that the space behind the door for the, like the speakers and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just a nice little touch. <laughs> Track three is totally in sync right now. Once you go past and the fast pass queue kind of joins on, and that's where there's kind of a rush. Um, people are deciding whether to go down the left side or the right side, and you think, well, you're from the fast pass, I'm going to try and push into you um, and push past you. Uh, there's some more posters on the side. Um, there's a TV screen in there as well, isn't there, I think, that kind of says um, recording and oh, like the, it gives you basically that the doors are going to open. You go in, and that's when you've got the actual real pre-show area, uh, which probably lasts about 25 seconds if you're lucky, because by the time you've stood in the place, you're walking again. <clears throat> yeah, I always feel like the timing is weird there, like they don't show you the full pre-show, you know? Yeah, because the door's open and you're kind of out of it while they're still talking yeah. to you on the way out. It's yeah. not like it's not like the Tower of Terror where you come in and you watch exactly the recorded thing from beginning to end. Yeah, because again, at the start of it as well, you're going in there and Steve Tyler, if, if you're at the end of the uh, the people that are allowed in, to the pre-show um, show, then obviously they've already started. They've already started mm. talking. So if you if it's the first time you've actually came across the pre-show, then you'll have missed it. Um, yeah, I can I can sort of see why they were why they were going for that because it they're trying to give it a nice sort of organic feel that you know Aerosmith are just in there they're working away and you just happen to be sort of walking past them. But I don't know. Maybe it would have been a little bit better to just have sort of a, a considerably longer loop that goes on with that Aerosmith thing and just have that in the background of a queue somewhere without having this bit where you sort of siphon people into a room, shut the doors, but kind of shut the doors at an awkward time and then reopen the doors at a bit of an awkward time. And then, I, I don't know, maybe it's it's taking a bit of inspiration from the American one where you're sort of, they almost kind of rush you out at the end. Alan will be able to tell you more about the story, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know whether that's sort of a bit of a hangover from that rather than having a sort of distinct start or end to the pre-show. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if in Paris it's, this badly timed because they there's not a, there's not much demand to go on the attraction, so they <laughs> they figure that they're you know they're just wasting time having you in that pre-show room. I mean, I've I've been on it where it's you know we haven't been watching the correct part of the pre-show. You just kind of enter the room and then the next thing you know you've gone out of the exit already. So it's a bit odd. Um, yeah, in in the Florida the original version it's timed more precisely. I'd say. It, it, obviously, as well, now that um, the studio, well, you can see the glass, and then there's the studio behind it, and then you can see that they're on a screen behind that. 
Um, obviously, the, when it first opened, the technology probably having a screen that big and having it that clear was probably really, really good, and that was the best they could do. And obviously, it's, the, the technology looks kind of outdated now, doesn't it? You can kind of you can tell that it's on a screen. Now, obviously, we know they're not there in the studio, but it kind of looks that way now, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, I did some. I've got some re- some uh, research there about that. It's actually uh, an IMAX sized film that they they shot it on film. It's not digital. Okay, yeah. And it's projected life size at sixty frames per second to give you that, you know, to give you Real. the feel, the realism of it. Yeah, that it's not like a film. And apparently, when they because it was shot indoors on such a large um, format at that frame rate, they had to use loads and loads of lights, and it it was really really hot for Aerosmith. Poor things. <laughs> <laughs> they should be glad they don't have to sit in Paris and just perform that scene over and over again for every guest. Yeah, being grilled. <laughs> And did you know who directed that pre-show video? No. Or pre-show film? Um, it's actually Jerry Reeve who directed Cinemagique. Oh, wow. Well. And I a found nice out, little tidbit. Yeah, and I found out the other day he directed all the uh, film sequences in Mission Breakout, the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Oh, wow, so they're still it's using the guy, then? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Which so who cool. knows, we might see some of his stuff in Disneyland Paris very soon. Who knows? Well, exactly, like Cinemagique leaves, but maybe Mission Breakout comes comes in so we get another Jerry ah. Reeves Jerry <laughs> returns to the studios because <laughs> well we're not we're not going to talk about the future section yet um, but if they were to replace the uh, the theme of Aerosmith with something else um, I think it'd be quite cool I don't know how um, effective it is at the moment this technology but some kind of holographic or projecting onto like kind of like a modern Pepper's Ghost but of an actual like hologram of a real person so like they're actually behind the instruments or they're in different levels of 3D rather than it just being a screen at the back even though it is like you're saying uh, 60 frames per second and it's shot in IMAX so it's trying to be life size just having that little extra depth to the scene would probably have made it better but then it's just a pre-show that you walk through so I mean what you're describing is exactly what they do over at Universal for the um, Harry Potter attractions, Forbidden Journey and Escape from Gringotts, they have live action footage of actors projected on one of these uh, Musion screens, which is like a foil screen. Yeah. And then you've got physical sets behind them. So it's a 3D, you know, you've got real actors projected into a, a physical room, a set. Yeah, cause it just adds the depth, doesn't it? And obviously to our eyes yeah. and our brains, the depth there kind of gives it probably an extra realism. Yeah. And it does, that- then it just being on a flat surface with nothing behind. That would be a great way of uh, updating the uh, Rock and Roller Coaster pre-show. But uh, they won't spend any money doing that if it's going to be Aerosmith. No. Smith. <laughs> or Sp- Spider-Man or something. Um, so, yeah, the, basically what they're doing in that show is they're just kind of talking about the loop, aren't they? It's kind of hard, they're in the it's in the middle of construction and they're talking about um, uh, the story of it and uh, going down and he's doing his air drums and stuff like that. To be honest, when the first few times, I actually like that. And even now I can sometimes feel myself having a little smile just because it i'm back in rock and roller coaster again and i'm going to enjoy this but you see this is where the paris version takes a sort of detour from the, the one in florida and you know you could argue this is where it starts not to make any sense at all because <laughs> <laughs> in florida you know they're in well it does in florida because they're in a recording studio you know recording music and then there's a concert and, and they, they have to leave. The concert, they have yeah. to leave suddenly, and then Steven Tyler's like, "Oh no, we can't leave without our fans." And then he asks his manager to, you know, call in a stretch limo for all the fans to go with them. Yeah. So then you're on, you know, on a ride on the like the LA freeway 
from uh, Hollywood to the uh, the venue where they're doing their concert. But in Paris, it's like they're testing a new. It's like they're aware that they are in a sort of theme park environment because they're testing roller coaster technology. Do you think that it's kind of because uh, obviously they've got the um, Florida version was there first and it was yeah. there for a few years before. Do you feel they've kind of said, sorry, the budget isn't as much, so we're just going to have to keep it as a roller coaster with some lights in it? Because um, obviously they would have seen that the storyline worked really well and it was getting uh, good audiences and stuff like that over in America. In America. So I wonder if yeah, they kind of the, decided, the, let's just downgrade it a little bit. The theming beyond that pre-show room isn't that elaborate. I can't imagine it would make that much difference to the the cost of the attraction. Uh, I don't know if they just wanted to do something slightly different so that Paris had its own unique thing. Yeah, true. Yeah, I think also, so the the sort of difference in the theming is that um, in, the, in the actual station, it seemed like a sort of back alley um, in a sort of LA, LA sort of, you know, Hollywood recording studio, just, you know, literally just a back alley. There's not really anything amazing. Um, but then once you're on the roller coaster, there's lots of sort of quite cartoonish illuminated signs of like the LA freeway. And like at one point you go through the O and the Hollywood Hills sign. It's all very sort of big and cartoony. They're not big sets. Um, but I, I wonder whether they felt that for a European audience, something that's sort of just so kind of blatantly American and all, all loving to California might not have gone down so well. And they felt that uh, something that sort of put a bit more focus on the music might have might have gone true. down better. Because they couldn't have really had them getting a the limousine from a French recording studio to Paris because it would have just been, there's another farm, <laughs> there's another farm, there's another farm, there's a broken down car. They could have themed it as you're taking the RER. You're taking the RER uh, route <laughs> from Mont la Valley to Paris, yeah. Past a farm, <laughs> past another farm. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, the loading station actually. I don't. I, I, like, I like the loading station at uh, Disneyland Paris because you've got all the um, again. It's like a backstage area, isn't it? Really, we've got loads of uh, like lights that aren't plugged in. You've got flight cases. You've then got all the mixing desks and everything like that. Um, and as somebody who does like that, and I, I do enjoy uh, working <coughs> backstage at different things, and I've done lights and sound before. Um, and it kind of does feel like you are at a live kind of not a concert, but it does feel like you're at some kind of big event. Um, with all the technical stuff hanging around. But the main attraction to the loading area and the uh, pre-show before the ride is the launch, isn't it? Getting to see the other um, coasters getting ready to launch off yeah, supersonic uh, speed. I just want to say, um, I guess one big difference is if you think about where the attraction's located in the parks, because in the original is on Sunset Boulevard, but the one in Paris is in the back lot, isn't it? So maybe... Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. part of the reason why, stylistically, they're different from the station on through the ride and then the the unload. True, because you're coming in from a different place, aren't you, on the outside? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> in Paris, they probably wanted to make the emphasis on production and you yeah. know a working studio, you know, backstage and all of that, rather than uh, like sort of the glamour of Hollywood. Yeah, definitely. And um, with all the sort of uh, you know very industrial <clears throat> style sort of lighting rigs. Uh, uh, and what have you in the Parisian attraction? Yeah, you're right. It, it does it does carry that uh, the initial theme of this is kind of meant to be a working studio. I never really thought of that, but that, that's yeah, it does work. It does. <laughs> Let's go on to the actual ride itself. Now we've kind of mentioned this already. Uh, I'm going to read through some of the statistics that I've stolen from somewhere. I can't remember the reference now. I apologise. <laughs> so the length of the uh, attraction is three thousand four hundred and three feet. Um, 
the height, the, so the biggest height is 80 feet. Uh, there's three inversions, and uh, Alan and Simon are the experts on these inversions, and we'll <laughs> go through those in a minute. Um, so, yeah, top speed is 57 miles per hour. Uh, the duration of the whole attraction is 1 minute and 10 seconds, and it feels like a good length of time. Um, obviously, you'd like it to go a bit longer, but then your eyes would probably run out of water and your hair would probably fly off if it went for any longer. Um, G-force of 5, uh, maximum acceleration, um, so yeah, 57 miles per hour in 2.8 seconds. Uh, the elements are the launch system, the LSM launch system, the Sea Serpent and the Corkscrew, which will be, I'll be leaving to you guys in a second. Uh, yeah, 1,800 riders per hour capacity. Um, it says here as well, 24 guests per sound tracker vehicle. So over to you guys. What is the difference between a sea serpent and a corkscrew when you come across them on this attraction? Well, actually, <laughs> I believe it's not. It's not a sea serpent. Oh. I think it's it's a rollover loop. As far I as think I, I, think I, I was looking this up earlier, and I think they're actually the same thing. But I yeah, believe the term call thing. them rollover loops. Yeah. If we're going to be really anarchy about this, it's like either two rollover loops or one sea serpent, depending on who you ask. Yeah, so in essence what happens is you go up into a massive half loop, uh, then you do sort of an upside-down corkscrew, exactly, and then yeah. go down another half loop. Yeah, and it, really when you're on the ride, it, you could think that it is just one, one inversion, couldn't you? It feels but like it, one inversion, definitely. But it's, it's two inversions in one. Yeah, but it's very it's very seamless. So, the yeah, the two inversions being uh, sort of in essence a kind of, simplified version of a sidewinder loop so you have a half loop going into a corkscrew and then you have a corkscrew going into a half loop and that makes up the two inversions if that wow. makes sense <laughs> well it makes sense to you too so that's fine and then the corkscrew comes later on after the I, I can't remember whether it's after the break run or not I think it might be yeah but that's, that's much later on so I mean it's the same number of inversions as Space Mountain it just doesn't feel like as many because they're, you've got two that are combined into one yeah, I also I also feel like um, Rock and Roller Coaster is a much I mean it's a much smoother experience than Space Mountain. Um, so to be honest, there could be more than three inversions in Space Mountain for all I care because it sort of throws you around a lot. Whereas Rock and Roller Coaster, I, you know, I, I I imagine it's the show building is considerably larger than uh, what they had to work with in Space Mountain because that's a very constrained space. Uh, but certainly it's it's a it's such a smooth ride experience. I love Rock and Roller Coaster for that because it really I believe it's actually technically classed as a mega coaster because it's genuinely very intense, but I really don't feel like it is when you're on it. Uh, interesting thing I found out is that it's only it's 122 feet longer than Space Mountain. Really? The track length, the track length yeah. Wow. <laughs> actually, I guess I guess though that includes because you have that that really long launch. And yeah. then, of course, the brake run at the end, uh, which, again, covers basically the same distance as the launch. It's literally just parallel to it next to it. So I guess that probably adds a lot to it, which Space Mountain won't have because yeah. it's the sort of uphill and the station's more compact in. Except Space Mountain has, like, two lift hills, doesn't it? But the Rock and Roller Coaster only has a good point, yeah. one launch. So um, the mention in there, the brake area at the end, that always freaks me out. Well, in the brake run? So, just yeah, there's that can... sort of light at the end that just kind of flashes at you constantly. And you're sort of sat there waiting for the next train to, to clear the exit station. You're sort of there thinking, this is this is really annoying now. Like, it was cool when we came in, but this is just sort of blinding me. 
Yeah, I'm just sat here now. Um, sometimes you kind of think, well, am I going to start moving anytime soon? I can hear the uh, train behind me coming very, very quickly down the down the uh, the track. <laughs> yeah. uh, especially you can, especially when you've got um, first time riders on with you as well. You can see the panic set in the first thinking, have we stopped? Have we broken down? Because it, obviously it's only seconds, isn't it, that you're waiting there to move back into the um, unloading area. Uh, but it does sometimes feel like you're there for about ten minutes. Well, certainly after you've been uh, you've been racing around three inversions and uh, whatever else, it, of course it's going to feel a lot slower. <laughs> One thing about this this ride, I mean, a lot of the attractions at Disneyland Paris don't really scare me anymore. But I'd say that the launch of the Rock and Roller Coaster is still the one thing that still gets to me. That, I'd second that for myself. Yeah, before, that yeah. the feeling when you're waiting there is you know the anticipation of waiting to be launched is it's hard to kind of get used to that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's something about it as well that because obviously Space Mountain has a launch as well, um, and it, you know that's also got a launch that's that's sort of quite visible, um, yeah. at least a section of it is. Um, but there's, there's definitely something about uh, Rock and Roller Coaster. I don't know whether it's because you have a countdown. I don't know whether it's because you have people stood watching you. I don't yeah. know what it is about it, but there is there is something that adds a high degree of extra t- tension to it than even say the launch of Space Mountain. And definitely the uh, the uh, sound effects must add to it. Yeah, I mean, there there's a sort of very deep rumbling sound. There's a lot of electronic sort of, there's growling and blips and there's all these sound effects that kind of build the anticipation. Yes, they're also I I hadn't realised this. I always thought, thought this was organic. There's a sort of screeching noise as the trains move around that I'd always thought was the actual roller coaster. It's a sort of high pitched kind of electronicy kind of noise. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, I hadn't realised that's actually part of the sound effect that they use. So it's, uh, they they build an awful lot into it, definitely. Yeah, the the, the different layers of different sound effects and the music do add a lot um, to the feeling, and obviously heighten your adrenaline and stuff as it rushes around your body. Um, when you're waiting in the queue uh, and you see the launch, I can imagine that all obviously seeing the launch before you get onto the uh, the start the sound tracker and getting it yourself <laughs> kind of adds to it as well, doesn't it? Because obviously with Space Mountain. You just see it disappearing off into the tunnel, and obviously you see it on the outside going through <coughs> the tunnel, uh, through and up the uh, cannon, um, but you don't get it's, to feel what people are experiencing it, yeah, before you get. It's uh, it's a lot more immediate with the rock and roller coaster, isn't it? It's you're very close up. You can see everybody's faces, and you can see, you know, the expressions on their faces just before they get launched. And you can yeah, hear uh, Steve Tyler screaming down the tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it could definitely it could definitely put you off riding it, couldn't it? watching that launch sequence just yeah, just to dive in there through. hang on with uh <laughs> with the story that i've got because uh you, you you've literally just said it would put people off doing it so um i can't remember if this was the last time or the previous time when i've been to Disneyland, but they'd somebody had got on and, and they boarded it and they'd got to the launch bit and i, I think they'd got to the point even where the, the magnetic catch car had latched onto the train and then this guy like freaks out totally freaks out um so they don't launch the car and you know the cast members go over and you know they're very reassuring to this guy and he's like i've got to get out i'm not going through with this um which is of course that's a massive problem when you've got a you've got a train that's loaded in potentially ready to be fired at a top speed down down a big tunnel so they then had to they had to i don't know what, what they did they must have like powered down all of the magnets or something they then had to sort of move the train or like disconnect it from the catch car before they could then uh, release the harnesses and get everyone out of it. 
Um, meanwhile, the Odyssey had to turn on all the sort of the um, the working lights uh, for the attraction. But it took it took absolutely forever to get this guy out. But you know, obviously, he you know he he freaked out so much because the the tension was was so much there that he you know he he really felt <laughs> <laughs> he had to get off, and then of course it took forever. So they had to, they have to cycle the trains around a number of times before they can start doing anything. So I, I literally, me and my dad had gone on being like, "Oh, it's a five minute queue, easy." While my uh, mum and my sister had gone to get some crepes, and then an hour later they'd eaten like four crepes, and we're like, "Where were you guys?" <laughs> Surely it would have and been it, easier for that fella if they just launched him anywhere. Well, I mean, it probably would have been. It would have been a, a cruel move by the council. He, he would have got off quicker, wouldn't he? He would yes, have. he would have been <laughs> an awful lot quicker. Because I can imagine he was all like, stressing out while he was sat there waiting for people to get him out. Very much so, because so, I, think, I think the cast members were... were I mean, they, I'm sure they would have practised these sorts of things. Um, but they they spent an awfully long time trying to work out how they could safely extract people from a train that I think had got that far into the... Uh, into the launch sequence, they it wasn't a case of like, oh, I just like stamp my foot on the thing at the back that flips the harnesses up. They were there forever, forever, like bringing over the manager and being like, "What do we do?" Something else about the uh, the launch sequence. I was just going to say that the uh, that's probably like the the best timed on ride photo at Disneyland Paris. Mm. The fact that they take the photo, you know, the the moment you are launched, and no matter what you're trying to. Um, <laughs> No matter how you feel, you know you know that photo is going to be taken, so you should try and maybe look a bit <laughs> happier. <laughs> it's, about to be, it's about to be captured because my instinct is always to kind of lean forward and duck a bit and um, not to sit back. But then you realise the photo is going to be taken, so you should probably try and look up at the camera and <laughs> look a bit uh, happier. <laughs> no, we always try and pull fun, funny faces and do all sorts of hand gestures because yeah, you're in because you because you're really locked in with the harness. You kind of can't really move your hands, so you're kind of pulling a funny face and then doing a really weird hand gesture. I mean, it just doesn't look good at all. No, it is a challenge <laughs> trying to trying to get a good photo while you're being launched at that speed. Absolutely. Good... I, what I love about that though is because you you really can't you can't prepare for it properly. So every <laughs> face you see is a properly organic face that they are not planning on pulling. Which is yeah. always entertaining. Good question, though. Do you um, obviously they always ex- well they don't expect you, but they always say it's best to sit back in your seat so you have a more comfortable ride. You just say now, Alan, that you kind of stick your head forward. Just instinctively, instinctive, just instinctively. That's yeah. my uh, brace for launch. <laughs> so, what about the rest of the ride? Are you, is your head firmly placed on the headrest, or do you let it wobble around a bit? How do you are you I relaxed? Are you? I probably don't put it towards the headrest because it's more... I don't know. I feel like it's more likely to keep repeatedly smacking into it yeah. if I do that. Yeah. I, but then I you always... can come off with a really sore neck, can't you, if you're <laughs> taking your head forwards all the time. Yeah, Yeah. Well, I mean, five G-forces max is you know, that's, that's quite a lot of G. But then, as I said earlier, it's a, it's a smooth ride. It's not like Space Mountain where if you sort of pop your head forward, you'll just be buffeted between the, uh, the headrests on either side of you. I do feel like on... Rock and roller coaster. You can get away with leaning forward a little bit, and you're not going to get so much smacking around. I think the I think Space Mountain has much more abrupt uh, direction changes in the track, whereas yes. with the rock and roller coaster, they've kind of smoothed it out. You know, it takes larger arcs, larger you know, the larger circles uh, are used in the track design, whereas Space Mountain has very very sharp bends. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, if you're not familiar with the track design of Space Mountain, effectively, what happens is you kind of there's they try to keep it with these 
sort of like doing a massive helix around the side of the building. And then whenever they want to do a show element, you sort of dive back into the building. So you'll do a sort of sharp uh, left, I think it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to then do a loop or a corkscrew or whatever, or go into another lift hill. Whereas, obviously, for rock and roller coaster, they haven't felt that you know they're not in a constrained circular building, so the track can be much more fluid and wrap around itself without needing to just do any sudden turns. Yeah, and I think the uh, <clears throat> the proof of that is that they haven't had to change the trains yet, like they have for Space Mountain with the new harness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, I think that's just become necessary with Space Mountain that it's just it's too it was just too too intense <laughs> you needed a more comfortable seat now when they were creating and building a rock and roller coaster i would love to have been part of the team that were involved in doing the lighting because uh, having watched some of the behind the scenes videos uh, they've had to set the lights and i think there was like more than 300 of them i think uh, when normally for a really big concert you'd have like maybe 150 so they've got double the lighting um, and obviously they've got all the different scenes they've got the five different uh, color schemes but they had to apparently um because obviously they only had one viewpoint from where they were programming the lights. They had to move a program, set a colour, and then ride the ride um, a couple of times <laughs> to check check what it was like, and then make a couple of tweaks, and then ride the attraction again, and then make some more tweaks. So just imagine how many times you must have uh, went through the the ride just to uh, check to see if the blue light was on. <laughs> I mean, that must have been, been a cool. lot of fun. <clears throat> but would it get boring, though, if you're doing that every day? I think Probably it would get pa- it would get painful, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, you have to go I, through some like military grade training just to be able to uh, get your body to cope with the G forces all day. Exactly. Yeah, I would imagine now that they could visualize enough of it on computers that they they could program all of the, program all of that in advance and not have to keep writing it. Where's the fun in that? I know, <laughs> but just, you know the difference in the technology between what they have now and what they had back. In uh, like 2002 when it opened. Yeah. So I can imagine now that obviously with new attractions, they'll have VR headsets and obviously, like you say, it'll be all 3D mapped. Exactly. On computer. Yeah. Um, you just make the change in real time on your computer and you can see it uh, from any viewpoint on in the attraction. So I remember hearing that apparently they, uh, in WDI, they will use motion simulators similar to the ones, well, identical to the ones that they use for Star Tours and they'll you know, basically animate what whatever ride they're making and then they'll go around it on on a motion simulator to get a feel for it before before signing off on the final design i, I don't know whether they would have done that back in back in the 90s whether it would have been well, too they, difficult to do the animations back then they uh, did but it certainly, for, sorry they did it for space mountain didn't they uh paris and space mountain they were doing that back then ah well i imagine then so yeah that, cause that, been the, uh, that was 90 that was 95 so that was in yeah that's in the shoot for the moon documentary that would be where I've got it from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, for for ninety nine, I imagine that's uh, that's how they would have done it. Um, on, the, on one of the videos that Alan sent me uh, this afternoon uh, before the show, um, I car- there was a section about rock and roller coaster, but I continued to watch it because I got kind of addictive, uh, addicted. <laughs> um, there was, a, and I've mentioned this before on a previous episode actually. Um, the, in, I can't remember where it was now, though. I'm sure it was in Walt Disney Studios. There was. Um, this virtual reality ride, kind of, that you could program your own roller coaster. You could pick the track. I can't remember what it was called now. That's good. Yeah, me. I think it was. Well, that comes. That originates from Disney Quest, which is like an Disney indoor Quest, yeah. virtual reality theme park that they had in Walt Disney World, and it was called Cyberspace Mountain at the time. Yeah, um, I'm not not sure if 
I think that's the name that came to Paris when they brought that over to Paris. Um, but obviously, you just mentioned in there, Simon, about um, checking out the attraction virtually uh, in a simulator before it gets the go-ahead. Um, but I remember it was only there in 2003 when I was there, and when I went back a few years later, it had completely gone. Um, but it's basically a really, it's basically like a big red washing machine that you're sitting in, <laughs> and you can put in loops, you can put in all these different corkscrews, and you basically just pick the intensity and drag and drop all the different elements, and then you ride your roller coaster. Um, and the funny part is that there's a screen on the outside um, and there's a camera on the inside and you can see people's faces uh, while they were riding. Um, but did they ever, did they, did they record your video in Paris? I never did it in Paris. Um, I never got a recording of it. Now, I don't know okay, if it's because... Uh, I... the, at the, sorry, at the original in uh, Walt Disney World, they sold, you could buy your on-ride experience on a VHS tape. <laughs> oh wow! It was a re- it was a funny video. It was very funny. <laughs> yeah, you might have been able to, but I was a poor student then. I was only sixteen years old. I couldn't have afforded one euro ninety nine for a, <laughs> a VHS. <laughs> oh, that feels like so much effort to be creating that many VHS. Tapes. I know it's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> they were not easy uh, easy technologies to use. Can Just you imagine the, the stockroom. The, you think of the difference now, where. Uh, at least in Florida, you know, you come off an attraction and then automatically on your phone is a video of you on the ride without you, mm. having, to do any, without you having to make any interaction at all. Very nice change. if that comes to Disneyland Paris one day. I, I hope see so, we'll yeah. Photo pass came a few years behind everybody else, so hopefully that will also be added to ours um, if everything's going wireless and RFID very soon. Exactly, because so. with the, you know, the attractions out there, they, the attractions know that you are on them without you having to do anything, which is quite an amazing thing. Kind of scary as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, the attraction knows exactly what seat you're in on every on every ride that has that technology uh, integrated into it. So, so in essence, means... they, could, they could probably, uh, I mean, it would be a bit cheeky to stick with Tyler, but they could um, synth his voice with him screaming your name or something at the start or at the end. Or something. Oh, yeah, I guess. Like you could, yeah. you could get shout-outs from the band. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you, uh, an interesting thing is, um, you know, they have posters for, you know, bands, rock groups and stuff in the, uh, in the queue area. Yeah. In Florida, those posters are digital, and they automatically incorporate your name. So you're oh, walking no around. way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're walking around, and then suddenly, maybe you won't notice it, but someone in your group will point out, hang on a minute, you know, your first name is part of this poster so that's kind of cool that like is that. very awesome yeah so like i said you know the attraction knows exactly where you are inside it not that you're just in the attraction in general but you're in the queue area and that you're on the coaster part and, and so on fantastic see i was going to say you could use the technology so if somebody is sick in the vehicle um, you can <laughs> pinpoint it to the exact person and then they have to come in on the day off well before they leave and clean the uh, ride vehicle up because if you know exactly who's sitting where, you could pinpoint it. I, I like how they've they've left it covered in sick until they've tracked this guy down again and been like, right, you're coming back, you're coming back. We've been running the train with sick on it for days. <laughs> Have you ever actually seen anybody be sick at Disneyland Paris? Nope. Me neither. Not not in a theme park, no. Right, yeah, exactly, which is quite good. Uh, yeah, relieving, really. <laughs> yeah, just imagine coming down the loop. And uh, yeah, that hitting you well, in the face. A, that that is a good reason to 
always sit in the front two seats. So is that you're out of the hit zone? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no one can be sick on you if you're at the front of the train. Well, so no, sure, if you're at the back of the train, unless they're sort of no, throwing if, up at if the if air and the, coming back. If you're at the back of the train and they throw up at the front of the train, then it's probably going to come back and hit you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're really, really deeply thinking this through. Yeah, so think about that next time you ride the attraction. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a with roller coasters. There's always a sort of it doesn't happen at Disney, but there's uh, you know you get you get to the front of the queue, um, and then like one of the trains will look like it's been very recently washed and it's still slightly wet. And you're like, well, it's not raining outside and it hasn't been raining all day. So what's been going on here? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be riding every roller coaster now with my mouth closed. <laughs> just in case and you know one of those nose pegs that some sports stars wear I'll be wearing one of those as well I shall as well you're taking all precautions you're going to be wearing a cap. mat with goggles on <laughs> you need to, be, need to be prepared Um, is there anything else anybody wants to add about the actual attraction or the actual ride element itself because obviously the, the music's attached to the uh, the coasters Um, you've got the lights on different trusses and you do you do ride through uh, and under and over uh, different bits of metal trussing as if it was like on a staged area. Um, has anyone got any other facts <clears throat> or any opinions on the actual attraction itself before we move on to the future? Um, I mean, I can tell you that it's definitely an improvement over the original version of it. Ooh, ooh. I'd say, in my opinion. So if you're talking, yeah, if you're talking about the actual the ride part, you know, in the gravity building. Um, I'd say that's way more of an experience than the original version is. Because I, I disagree with you, because I think that the seeming in Paris kind of feels a bit like a cop-out to me, because, I mean, every every Disney attraction has a light show going on with it. You know, that's nothing new. Whereas I, I prefer the idea that you're sort of racing through an L.A. street and there are these big cartoony signs that you know, sort of illuminate as you go through them, as you go past them. So I feel it's a bit more of a kind of dynamic experience, whereas it, it you know, it changes as well because you're, you're going past different signs. Whereas, of course, in Paris, um, fine, the lights might be doing a fractionally different thing, but at the end of the day, it's still probably the same color lights flashing at you as you're going around. So I, I feel like also particularly it has two, uh, the really coaster has two sort of flat sections um i think only one of which is actually a break run um but it has two sort of flat sections where you go along for a short period and in paris to me those always feel a little bit um they feel a little bit dead whereas in america you're going past these you know these big signs that are illuminated or, or you're going through something something's happening while you're there so i feel like it just sort of makes the attraction feel a little bit more complete so personally i <laughs> prefer this the American one, uh, but before Alan argues back, because I sure have some very good points to make, um, I just want to say that I feel like I've been quite negative about the attraction for this whole podcast. Um, and although I don't think the theming in Paris is great, and I think it could be better, I think the roller coaster is absolutely amazing. I love the launch, and it's it is one of my favourite attractions at Paris. So I don't want to feel too negative about it. Anyway, Alan, make the Parisian version sound amazing. Go. <laughs> I mean, a, a big you know, a, one of the clear differences is um, in the original version it's all lit with black light isn't it so it's like a fantasy land dark ride in that it's yeah. all uv in paris it's uh, well another difference in paris there is that it's lit it's got fog everywhere hasn't it yeah, the smoke, smoke inside yeah. the interior and then it's lit with uh stage lighting 
Um, the story definitely makes more sense in the original. But I'd say, like, visually, it's a lot more spectacular in Paris. And, you know, we've, I've been, you know, I don't like the exterior of the attraction, and I don't think the pre-show makes any sense. But the actual coaster part is amazing in Paris. I think it's a really cool experience. Now, not having ridden the original one in America, I must um, agree with Alan there. <laughs> being the only version I've ever ridden. Um, but I think my love of uh, staging and lighting and being backstage, I think if I was to ride the original, I probably would still pick Paris. Now, obviously, it's easy to say that without actually being on the original uh, coaster. Um, but I do like the fact that the smoke fills the room and you've got the moving headlights moving around. And Yeah, I, even... and I, I think all of that gives you a much a greater appreciation of the depth and the scale of it in Paris. Whereas in Walt Disney World, because you're essentially in a black room with uh, flat, you know, like cardboard-like signs, you're not quite as aware as uh, as aware of how big it all is, I'd say. If any of you uh, listeners at home would like a sort of a, a feel for how big it is, then do go on YouTube and look up a POV for the sort of sister attraction that's not built inside a building, which is called Express Platform 13, um, because that you can actually see what's going on on the roller coaster there. So that gives you a really good feel for, say, like the, the rollover loop that you do at the start, the course use later on, uh, and these sort of flat sections that we were talking about. You can actually see those, whereas if you ever watch a POV um, from either of the rock and roller coasters, you cannot see a thing about what's going on. Yeah, I mean, and that, you're talking about the, the first inversion, that's one of my favourite, like, moments at Disneyland Paris is mm. coming out of the, the rollover or the C7, whatever you want to call it, but coming back down to the ground, just being, you know, just the visual of being upside down, like, 80 feet or however tall it is on that ceiling, and then diving back down to the ground, that's a really cool, that's a really cool moment. It's a fantastic element in it, definitely. Yeah. And then I always think on that, like, this is amazing, I wish more people would ride this, because they're missing out on this experience. But then, obviously, the selfish part of me um, is glad that not as many people are riding it because it does. <laughs> if you yeah. do want to, to, to get onto it, and you know you've only got a certain amount of time, you can guarantee that you will get onto Rock and Roller Coaster. Exactly. Yeah. Another so, thing. Uh, sorry. Another thing about the one in Florida is that um, you probably know this: that the route that you, because you're meant to be actually following a route to the Aerosmith concert, the road signs along the route of the attraction are actually indicating a, a real route. It's not made up. It's meant to be sort of... You know, obviously, the coaster track is not following Google Maps. <laughs> but, um, the signs follow like the the order, the order going from Hollywood to uh, Inglewood, I believe it is, where the forum, that's the arena that they're performing in at the end of the attraction. That's where you end up, you know? So you start from point A and then you go to point B. That's very interesting, that. Yeah. Because obviously, not knowing the uh, ge- geographical locations of any of these places, if I was on the attraction, I probably wouldn't take that in but again that's the disney difference isn't it yeah that, they've that thought, attention I mean, to detail you probably wouldn't work that out while you're actually riding it but it's nice that they've done that yeah <laughs> um something we didn't really mention um when we were talking about the uh, the ride vehicles and the trains um the difference between the uh, the original version in Walt disney world and the paris version is there any difference like in the comfort in the feel of the actual uh, train the ride vehicles um, I don't think so in the in the comfort, but I mean the the they're styled differently because in Florida it's a super stretch limo, yeah, that's what you ride in, and then in Paris it's a sound tracker, and then of course I mean I think the the vehicles in Paris have actual 
lights on them, don't they? And illumination, and they've got uh, um, like indicators, like meters, volume meters, yeah. and stuff like that. Whereas they're just basically a limousine shell in the original. So yeah, obviously, so... the Disneyland Paris version's better. Well, arguably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, this is this is from designingdisney.com. Uh, a volume unit meter can be seen at the hood of every sound tracker. Uh, it's a series of 40 green, orange, and red lights which flicker in accordance to the uh, volume of the music that can be heard on board each train. Yeah. Which I've never actually... I mean, I think I've, you see it when you're not on it. Uh, exactly, um, yeah. It's quite hard to see while you're on the ride. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, a cool thing that they put in. Um, are there any things on the trains that differentiate uh, sort of show whether it's train one two three four because say in america they have they have license plates. Like, yeah license yeah. plates don't they i'm not sure in paris is do they actually have a number one on the train and a five i've never really paid attention to that certainly in in america they have to they have to change them over during servicing um yeah. for whatever whatever like memory stick they've plugged into the train that time so it's it wouldn't be anything permanent it would be something that they could Switch around if there was anything. That hey, that can be our our question of the podcast, our challenge. There always is one. This time it is this question. <laughs> there you are. Is there is there anything that differentiates the soundtracker so you know which one you're getting on? I'll tell you what they do sorry, have on the oh, front. Sorry. sorry, they have um they have a nice CD on the front of them just to make them as modern as possible. <laughs> they do, don't they? Yeah. Nice little <laughs> flash, little CD reflecting in the light. The uh, I was going to say like something that's unusual about the rock and roll. Coaster is that the trains come into the station empty, don't they? Yes. You think about you think about Space Mountain. They, the train comes back with a full load of guests, and you can see their reaction to the ride. Same with Big Thunder Mountain and um, Temple of Peril. But on the Rock and Roller Coaster, it comes in completely empty, which is kind of uh, mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit disconcerting. First... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like, I've seen them getting seen them getting launched off, and then they've obviously flew off because they've they haven't came back. Yeah, it's like nobody <laughs> comes back. <laughs> it's the ride to hell. Anyway, so um, let's go to the future. What will uh, obviously, if we were betting men, which I don't really bet on anything because I don't want to lose any money. Even a pound is too much money to lose. Um, this is where we now put, place our bets of to what we think might happen in the future. Um, obviously, the biggest possibility is probably going to be a new story and a total retheming of the whole thing. Uh, before we discuss that, is there any band that you would like to replace Aerosmith with? Um, if you want to keep it down the music theme. Bewitched. Bewitched. <laughs> oh, look at them. Now, you do realise that someone's now going to have to find a POV and um, play Bewitched. <laughs> I was joking, just to clarify. I was only fractionally joking. Actually, I would really love somebody to, to make me a James Blunt rock and roll coaster. Yeah, every time, every time I go clubbing, I'll go to the uh, the DJ and even in like R and B clubs and be like, "Sorry, James Blunt, please." <laughs> people seem to think James Blunt doesn't fit in anywhere, but I'm sure you can put it wherever you want, and he'll be amazing. Is there an R and B version of James Blunt's music? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is uh, sidetracking quite considerably yeah, from Rock and Roller Coaster, but um, the. <laughs> One of, one of the very first times that a... It wasn't a Sobat back then, a, a synchronised on-board audio track, uh, but the first time that that was being tested uh, was by an imaginer called Tom Morris, who was testing... Yeah. He's been tweeting 80s, a lot about this. Yes, 
Yes, and this this has become a big internet thing. Uh, he was on the Space Mountain in, I can't remember whether it was Florida or California, um, but he put together a playlist of, like, 80s music, because it, it was the 80s, I guess. Um, so he originally made Space Mountain, effectively, to rock music, and that's sort of where the idea of rock and roller coaster kind of came from, I think, from following that, his tweets. That's a really good point, isn't it? That's the genesis of the rock and roller coaster. Well, why didn't we? I don't know why I suddenly decided to mention that now in the future <laughs> section. Uh, but there we are. I certainly um, remember. I haven't, I haven't picked my band yet. Um, my favourite band actually is the Blue Tones, an indie band that probably nobody's ever heard of before. I think they're a number two um, single once a long time ago in 1995. Um, That's so neat. Yeah, their music probably wouldn't go very well uh, with the rock and roller coaster. Um, um, can I? Is there any mo- is there any modern bands that would fit in? See, I've always thought they if they went with Daft Punk, then they could do some kind of Tron theme for it. But that's, that's going a, a bit shout. a bit yeah. of a weird version of it. But um, because they're French artists and it's in France, and they like to well, they did like to promote sort of French things, didn't they, in Disneyland Paris? But that's disappearing. Well, I, uh, they have just built. Ratatouille. Well, I say just built. Yeah, a while ago, no, I, guess. <laughs> I was thinking of um, taking out Cinemagic and taking out the Visionarium <laughs> and stuff like that. It's a good shout, though, Daft Punk. It would. Uh, yeah, Daft Punk. If you add some lasers and some holograms, and oh, obviously uh, we haven't ma- we haven't mentioned you, projection mapping yet, so we'll have put, we'll put some projection mapping in there as well. Do you know the story about Daft Punk and Disney Village? I don't know it well enough to uh, say on a podcast. But if no, you, I don't. So now you have to. Tell if you us. Google it. <laughs> Yeah, if you, if, if you just Google it, basically they they their career started because of some kind of meeting in Festival Disney. Well, there oh, you go. excellent! But look at that up. It was like their their tape, their demo tape was handed over to someone in Festival Disney, and that's how they that's how it all started. Well, well there you go. There you go. Yeah. So, so really, um, they owe Disneyland Paris to give them the royalty free rights to their brand and their music for the the new layover of this uh, attraction. They do. Yes, I wonder how much Disney do fork out to be able to have Aerosmith's <clears throat> music. Well, well, hang on, that brings me back to a, a point. Um, do you know, did you find the, the band that was originally supposed to be in the Rock and Roller Coaster? No doubt. No. Am, am I making it? Um, some, or did I say I wanted that, that in familiar. a tweet That somewhere? sounds familiar, but what I found was that it was meant to be the Rolling Stones. Okay. And they were interested in doing it, but... But the, the licensing fee that they asked for was too much for Disney to afford. Well, Disney didn't want to pay it, basically. So then they were looking up a cheaper, more affordable band. <laughs> Hello, and, and if you time, are cheaper and more yeah, affordable. Well, and at the time, they'd done a deal with uh, Touchstone, Touchstone Pictures for Armageddon. Which was you know? obviously Disney. Or yeah, that was like June June 98 that, that uh, the, the soundtrack for that film came out. And then so the Rock and Roller Coaster opened a year later, didn't it, in 1990? Yeah, there we go. There you go. <laughs> I, I, it says it was. It was on Jim Hill Media. It said that the Aerosmith uh, asked about a tenth of the price of what the Rolling Stones were asking for. Wow, that's a big difference. Yeah. So well, if, the, if, I he guess me, if, when if he asked me, I would have provided right. them some music for a tenth of that tenth. <laughs> <laughs> I can play a couple of notes on a guitar, and you'll sing the whole way around, right? Yeah, I mean, well, actually, you've already done that before. I've, to I've done that already. An excellent so, response. Yeah. You're a proven so, talent, Andrew. There's nowhere to find me. I'm sure at Disney have got my email address now. <laughs> I'm always so surprised. We... Sorry, on the Rock and Roller Coaster, I'm always surprised that they haven't changed the music. They haven't just simply changed the music yet. And um, 
you know, if you look at, um, do you know Rip Ride Rocket at Universal Studios? Nope. Not okay. usually, though. <laughs> but that's, a, that's basically, in simple terms, that's a roller coaster where when you get on it, you've got an interface and you can choose the soundtrack for your ride. Oh, cool. Every seat on the coaster has, you all hear a different piece of music. You know, you're not all hearing the same piece of music. Kind of like you're a giant disco, but on a roller coaster. Yeah, you're hearing exactly the song that you chose. So, you know, that's something that they, they could add to the rock and roller coaster if they wanted to make a sort of subtle change to it. That, I like that, yeah. Obviously, um, there's only so many uh, Aerosmith songs if you were keeping it down the Aerosmith route. Um, so you'd have a selection screen in front of you. Hmm, I don't really know any of these Aerosmith songs. I'll just press random. Yeah, but yeah, but if yeah, there but was I mean, um, a lot of if it, if it was changed to rock music rather than just one band, exactly. Obviously, yeah. a selection of lots of different rock classics would be a really nice touch, wouldn't it? The settings are recording studios, so you know you'd imagine a recording <coughs> studio would probably have a few bands. Uh, to have. Exactly, it's a weird recording studio if they've only got one act. Yeah, they're just and yeah. <laughs> the label just has the one, the one band. If, when you're in the queue area, anyway, if you listen to the door. You can hear the other band preparing for their uh, their their version of the roller coaster. There we go. You could so, argue how could um, is Aerosmith are so little money for the attraction? How they can afford to rent out Studio Eight and Nine with a whole roller coaster inside it? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's probably quite expensive in studio time, isn't it? Oh, well, not in not in Walt Disney Studios. It's not. <laughs> Right, then if we if we move away from music, and obviously a lot of people are discussing um, a Marvel theme for that end of the Walt Disney uh, Studios, um, so what what are your thoughts and opinions on um, a Marvel overlay for the attraction? Keeping the same uh, coaster track, obviously, but it would just be the theming behind it and the story behind it. Because um, even though I do watch uh, Marvel films, I haven't watched them all, and... Um, I do like superhero films, but I'm not, not my best genre, not my favourite genre to watch. Um, so it'd still be interesting because obviously it would bring new tech, it would bring new ideas. Um, just what are your thoughts if it was to go to either like a Marvel or Avengers or Spider-Man type of theme? I was just thinking in terms of Marvel, I, um, Iron Man immediately springs to mind because of the ACDC songs used on the soundtrack, which yes. is obviously rock music. So you could have an AC, you could have Back in Black, something like that. Um, on the coaster or i mean guardians of the galaxy would work wouldn't it because you could have that the mixtape yeah. you could have you know uh, groot has plugged the mixtape into the vehicle and you're listening to uh, star lord's songs while you're on the ride something like that so that would be good that would be um cheap way of improving the ride as well obviously the the audio and the license and stuff they don't have to buy the ip um from themselves which i'm sure they'll get around that um, but the lighting's all there already. I'd obviously have to make some tweaks to the uh, the, the ride vehicle um, and the theming around the place. But that, surely that doesn't cost as much as building a brand new attraction or completely changing elements of the ride uh, when the roller coaster's there. It's got the speakers on it. You could kind of do that within a year, couldn't you? Really? Well, definitely. I mean, the, the rumors the rumors have been circulating for so long that there's going to be some sort of Marvel overlay to Rock and Roller Coaster. We've been saying how you know. This, know that the backlot area of the studios park particularly really needs a very visual overhaul we've been saying how aerosmith and the kind of theme of rock and roller coaster currently is is you know it, it could it could do with a refresh it feels a bit old now so definitely bringing in a franchise like marvel would do and equally we've, we've just seen them do it very, very successfully in california with tower of terror and I, I hope they don't 
change our Tower of Terror because it, it fits so nicely with what the theme of the park is meant to be. However, what you could definitely do is start bringing in a sort of uh, Art Deco 20s style like they've just done with changing Tower of Terror to Guns of the Galaxy Mission Breakout in California. If you start bringing in that style into Backlot, then you have a nice seamless transition from uh, Tower of Terror. You go through Courtyard, which again you could bring into that sort of 20s theme, flowing into a Marvel area with where Rock and Roller Coaster currently is in Backlot. And then you've effectively you would change the entire park to simultaneously fit the original sort of Roaring Twenties theme of Walt Disney Studios, and you'd be giving it a new lease of life with Marvel, and finally it would it would look really good. I think Luke uh, at NIDLP Geek uh, has a very, very similar idea to this, uh, which he's probably written in his long essay that he sent through to us. Um, and he, I think he's done an article on it as well, so check out his ideas on that, because they're very cool. It's very doable, um, and it wouldn't cost a huge amount. Are you the um, financial advisor now for Disneyland Paris? <laughs> if I was, they'd be doing a lot more building. And they'd be far more bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, again, it does need freshened up. And obviously, eventually, whether it's next year, five years, ten years time, down the line, it's going to happen eventually, I would say, um, given that now the Walt Disney Company do own Disneyland Paris. And obviously, that Walt Disney Studios does have to have uh, the focus that kind of brought to it. Um, it would be sad to see Rock and Roller Coaster go. Obviously, being one of the first roller coasters I ever ridden as a, as a young teenager, um, getting over my fear of those rides in the dark. Um, so it would be sad to le- lose that. But then again, to see more new, like the new tech, and hopefully a new audience get interested in the attraction, it would be so cool uh, to see that in the future. Definitely, it needs some projection mapping as well. Exterior of, of the building, the interior, onto your faces as you're going around. Projection mapping everywhere. Well, you could have um, some kind of viewing area, depending on what the story is. If it is Iron Man or if it's uh, Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy, there could be some kind of viewing area of, I don't know, um, these superheroes trying out new... If it's Iron Man, trying out new um, Iron Man suits. Um, and you could maybe project things onto uh, the ride vehicles. Or you could even have... Uh, drones flying around inside the shore building as long as they don't uh, crash into the uh, coaster. Um, they could be carrying um, some uh, LED screens that would be showing different uh, superheroes flying around um, and you could be racing them maybe inside the shore building. Obviously, uh, health and safety would have no issue with that whatsoever. If they could, could projection sorry. map onto the side of a train, that would be so amazing because every roller coaster train travels at a different speed so they'd have to they'd have to have like instantaneous tracking and adjusting technology to be able to do that and then equally the amount of projectors that you'd need to be able to get onto every angle but i mean if they could do it wow that would be impressive wouldn't it see a roller coaster train like changing color and having things happen to it as it went around would be cool it could do it probably in not the, worth um, it for the uh, the hassle no, it would cause but it could you know, do it, it in cool. the um the station it could do it in the station where everyone's boarding Obviously, it wouldn't need as much, and obviously the trains would be going at a set speed. So you could have some kind of patterns going around on the vehicles. Or um, again, you could have different characters projection mapped onto the uh, the faces of the guests uh, as they're ready for launch when you're queuing up next to them. Um, and obviously, every now gonna, and then you, have, you put a hidden um, Mickey in there every now and then on someone's face. I was going to say they could certainly just add projection screens inside 
the closer the part of the attraction. Like, you know, yes. Hyperspace Mountain has these mm-hmm. large screens, which they, you know, are using for multiple things now, aren't they? They were using them for Mission Space, uh, sorry, Mission 2 content, and now they're doing Star Wars yeah. Hyperspace Mountain content on the same screens. And, um, <clears throat> like, uh, the Tron Light Cycle Power Run in Shanghai, they've got some very large screens inside that attraction that they're projecting, um, you know, film and media clips onto the screens and you're, as you're going past them. Yeah, mate, thanks for bringing me back down to Earth because obviously we were going to be crazy there with our projection. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, obviously we don't. What we what we don't want is everything just to be replaced by screens. But then if it's practically, it, obviously it's in the dark. Um, you, you can't really see any practical scenery. So having the screens there doesn't really I'll matter say, as much. I'll say one thing about screens is that you know I, I agree that I don't want attractions to be all screens. But I just have done uh, the Avatar Flight of Passage ride at Disney World, yeah. which is literally all screens. But it's probably yeah. like the best, the single best ride I've ever been on. You know, oh, and there, wow. aren't, there aren't animatronics during the ride. There aren't sets, but you don't miss them. So that kind of is a counter argument, isn't it? <laughs> that is true. I remember following your tweet um, last week, um, seeing your reaction to that, and uh, then I, I do not like. Well, I don't mind spoilers, so I then found a video on YouTube and watched. Um, obviously, it doesn't have the same you, effect at yeah, all. Yeah, you can never, you can never ever spoil that ride. What you've got on your computer screen is not quite the same as. <laughs> what they built in that massive show building. How do you know I haven't got an IMAX screen in my garage? <laughs> no, it's literally got the biggest cinema screen I've ever seen. So, you know, it just goes to show, you know, screen-based attractions can actually be really, really good. I think I would like to agree with you on that. Obviously not seeing it, but um, I know there's been a lot of argument against um, just all-screen attractions. And in, in, to some extent, Ratatouille... Um, obviously does it rely on um the the screens in the different areas of the attraction and probably would that, that attraction might be even that might have been better without as many screens maybe in the 3D effect obviously yeah. now with the uh the technology they've shown there on the uh, flight of passage if they could have it on such a scale as that with the right and I know they're bringing Ratatouille to America as well now exactly yeah. just copy the same the same format so it's a shame well, that they won't be updating it yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll solve the problems in Ratatouille and then bring those changes back to Paris eventually. That would be the coolest thing, wouldn't it? That would never happen, surely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. They, they made changes to Pirates of the Caribbean uh, that immediately were, well, has been done in Paris before they've gone to California, so the changing yeah. of the, uh, the take a wench for a bride scene. So there's, you know, there's no reason why nowadays we can't we can't be... You know, down with the kids, keeping up with keeping up with what street? <laughs> Just saying that makes you not street whatsoever. Ah, oh, rats <laughs> gets me every time. But yeah, what what else could they do at the show building? Obviously, at the moment, it's just a big corrugated steel box with some purple trim um, and a bit of trussing. I think um, I think one option that no one's really discussed is that if Disney are thinking really, really big, an option might be that they just demolish the whole backlot area <laughs> and they true. actually start over. You know that they could do that. They do stuff like that in Florida. Um, it sounds a bit inefficient and crazy to waste all of that, but uh, you never know. They, they might be thinking of something like that. Is, does, yeah, does no. That well, they, in... they, they certainly do like to. Well, certainly with the way that they do a lot of building now, is they like to build entire new, new areas. So, say if you look at what's going on in Florida right now, you know they, they've just built the entire new area of Pandora. They're looking to build the entire new area of Star Wars, yeah. Toy Story. So. so 
Yeah, it's, not, it's they very don't, plausible, not, but they yeah, yeah, they just do a like, whole thing. Exactly, they're not adding in like individual attractions. They'll just flatten if it's an existing site. They'll just flatten the whole area and then build one big sort of mega mega land that has yeah. a continuous theme throughout it. Which, because Disneyland Paris good. doesn't have as many attractions as um, all of the parks put together in um, Walt Disney World, um, would it make more sense to use some of the land that Disneyland Paris have got available to kind of build the new area that's connected to Walt Disney Studios and then once that's up and running, then demolish what's already there? Or then do you kind of think, well, it's a waste of time knocking that down? When it, You know what I mean? Like Rather than yeah. knocking it, having nothing... Even though it may, may maybe only take out two or three attractions of that end of the park, if they did do that, I don't know. Would it be worthwhile just adding extra, or would it be better I, I, to completely demolish it? I would hope that they would completely demolish it and do it to the Disney stand, you know, modern Disney standards, which are incredibly high now. You know, it's ridiculous what they build these days in in the American parks, at least. Yeah, I mean, when you when you think about what's in in the backlot area, you have the sort of the or the cafe that's opposite Rock and Roller Coaster. Then you've got Motors Action, which I love Motors Action, but I mean it, it, it's it's got to go now. And I mean, fine, you could start building bits around it, but I think realistically, Alan, you're probably right. Yeah, if if we yeah. want something that's that's to this this new amazing Disney standard uh, that they have achieved with things like Pandora, then well, yeah, let them let them have a prime properly blank canvas again yeah a totally fresh start although i can't imagine it's going to happen in paris (laughs) (laughs) so um the list that we've got here for the future section we'll just cross it all out and just put demolish and start again yeah that makes our job easier (laughs) well Um, i mean if you do that you don't end up with this sort of thing where say like with guardians of the galaxy mission breakout people have been like oh well you know you're you're ruining our tower that we have such a spherical spiritual connection with because then they'd be like well that tower's gone now mm. instead of oh it used to be like this or it used to be like that or say with space mountain where we still have in paris i mean where we still have so many people who are nostalgic um for the original from the earth to the moon iteration of the ride well you know if the ride had just been demolished you wouldn't have that that's true and you have to think like the studios in paris you know soon they'll be 20 years old which is weird that's terrifying to think yeah so you think about you know a, like it's a, a, a generational thing you know someone's gone from being a baby to being 20 years old in the time that that park's been open um kind of crazy yeah i mean in fairness <laughs> the, the, park, the park has changed a lot because i mean when you're if you think you know tower of terror wasn't there when the park initially opened cross's coaster wasn't there ratatouille wasn't there toy story playland wasn't there there was in fact there was so little there at all so it has changed a lot but it's it's unlike a lot of disney parks which sort of grow with large sections at a time it's been very bitty in the way that it's grown up so maybe it would be nice to see a bit like ratatouille it was a it was a whole mini land that they did at once even though that's only one attraction and a restaurant it would be nice to see a whole area get done properly seamlessly yeah i mean i feel like the when they did toy story playland that was i mean i don't love the toy story theme but that that was something that was the full. That was sort of Disney quality. Like they would build that in Florida or California. You know, it was good enough. So that's the kind of thing they would build over in their parks. And the same yeah. with Ratatouille. You know, Ratatouille wasn't like a, a budget version of a Disney ride. It was Disney trying to do their do their best. Yeah, and it it wasn't just uh, sort of crushes coaster. Oh, we've got this idea for a roller coaster. Okay, we're just kind of stick it there. 
and yeah. then there's sort of nothing around it and you can you know they're still stuck with this sort of studio theme so it's, it's actually quite an unattractive ride yeah there, there's, yeah you're right with with Toy Story Playland and with uh, Ratatouille there's none of that but ho- hopefully that does that does, does signal for the future um, something else we've got on our list, which I want to discuss before we move on to listener opinions, is uh, virtual reality. Now, I've had a few discussions on Twitter about this before, and I keep changing my mind whether I would like to have something like this in Disneyland Park. Um, obviously, there's a, a load of coasters now in Germany um, where there's VR headsets, and I think Alton Towers have uh, got this now on what used to be Air. I can't remember yeah. what it's called now. Is it Galactic something yeah. or whatever? Galactica. Galactica. Air Galactica, I think. Yeah. Um, obviously, but with with the virtual reality, you get the same. Obviously, you feel the sensation, um, and you're wearing the virtual reality headset, and you can look around. And obviously, um, I don't think they have individual rides as yet on each individual uh, headset, but the potential is there that each person can kind of get a, a randomized ride from a different location, and then instead of having to uh, shut attractions down to give them overlays for seasonal holidays. Um, like they do with Haunted Mansion and uh, It's a Small World in America, they could do that quite easily with a virtual reality headset. Um, and again, if, you, if you're theming it with Marvel or some another IP that Disney own, then you could, if there's a new film out, you just whack in another um, playlist. Um, what's your thoughts on the technology? Because I, I do like it, but then, again, is, is it a cheap way of getting around having to plan all of the uh, the physical sets again and think of the overall story um leaving it to some people in the studio somewhere so Simon, what do you think i'm i mean i've not tried it out yet from what i've heard i've heard sort of mixed things it obviously depends a lot on the quality of what you're seeing in the vr so say uh, i remember being someone who said the first time they went on air galactica um, at Alton Towers, they really enjoyed it. But then the second time, the sync was slightly out with the video, and it made them feel sick, and they tried to take the thing off halfway through, which obviously is, you know, is not ideal. But then again, equally, um, uh, I, I was watching a documentary about there's a little roller coaster in Europa Park, which is just a little small mine train, so very, very family ride, very basic kind of roller coaster that they they've now got virtual reality headsets on, and it turns out that. The human sort of like internal gyros are really not very sophisticated. So your brain can be tricked into believing a hell of a lot of things that aren't happening. So say if you have like a 90 degree banked turn, if you show someone a video of them doing a corkscrew as they go through that turn, you will believe you've gone through a corkscrew. You will fully believe you've gone through a corkscrew. So you can actually take things that, even though you know, you've know you got the actual motion of it happening, well, you can not only exaggerate that, but make people believe they're going through emotions that are totally different than what's happening to their body anyway, which I think is really exciting. But then again, equally, I, I'm a sucker for a, you know, that that sensation that, you know, you're going past something that's genuinely been built rather than that somebody's knocked together on a computer. So I, I you know, I do love 3D sets. But of course, Alan has just said that Fighter Passage is the best attraction he's ever been on, <laughs> which is quite a claim, because Alan knows a thing or two about theme park attraction so maybe i'll be one over yeah um yeah I, I, yeah that's a really good point actually like you know if they were going to add it to any attraction in disneyland paris maybe they could add it to uh, casey jr <laughs> <laughs> to make it more thrilling or something but um and I mean, hey, there's nothing there's nothing more thrilling than sitting in the back um, and <laughs> facing the opposite way yeah casey jr if you haven't tried it out i'd recommend it 
I, I've done that, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I have never actually experienced VR on a roller coaster, but to me, it doesn't appeal. I mean, it seems like the last place that I'd want to wear a VR headset with all the G forces and your head potentially smashing around in the uh, restraint. Yeah, it doesn't sound very comfortable. No, and certainly, you know, you the advice always when you go on a roller coaster is things like you know, don't shut your eyes. So the idea that then <laughs> you're you're going to have this headset on that's showing you something completely different than what's happening anyway. Yeah, I, I can understand how, uh, how that could end up quite a sort of internally confusing experience. And it seems yeah, a shame when they, sorry, when it seems a shame when they built, like you said, such a big roller coaster, like a physical thing, to then shut down your, you know, primary sense and so that you mm. can't see any of it, you can't appreciate it. Because they could have simulated it with a much smaller coaster, couldn't they? Like you were saying. Yeah, certainly. That's true. Um, I'm kind of split because obviously the the tech geek in me wants to be able to like experience this and just thinking of all the different possibilities of being able to sit at home and maybe if you're obviously in um, Walt Disney World now you can book your fast passes like three or four months in advance. Um, you could in the future possibly you'll be able to sit at two home. Months. Two months. Is it two months? <laughs> yeah. Um, you'll be able wow. to. <laughs> You'll be able to sit at home and think, well, I'm going to go on this new Marvel uh, VR roller coaster and I'm going to book in, I want this flight with Iron Man and then the next time I want to go on um, with um, Groot on his uh, little voyage from Guardians of the Galaxy. So that will be quite cool being able to pick that. But then like I say, even though I love technology and I do love messing around with virtual reality a little bit um, in the home, it just doesn't feel like Disney is the place for that to happen because of obviously the, the the grand scale of everything they do and all the money they can spend on making all this elaborate roller coaster and again I agree if you if you're putting all this time into a full on roller coaster um and you don't need all of that if you've got the virtual reality then uh, they're just wasting time and money aren't they really and I I'd, I'd also say that you know the whole concept of Disneyland is that it's uh you know where the family plays uh you know enjoys their day together Whereas, you know, VR, that's a very isolating experience and you're not ever yeah. going to, you can never, mm. unless you take off the headset, you can never see the expressions of the group that you're with. You can't see if anyone's enjoying the ride. You know, you can't see the person next to you. Yeah. Unless, of course, they have cameras in the headrests in front and then you can, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the virtual reality world, your face is mapped onto the person next to you and then you can kind of see um, yeah. people's yeah. emotions around that's, you. But then I that's getting that's too complicated. <laughs> yeah. But I agree, it is a family place, isn't it? You want, like, again, the, some of the enjoyment on a roller coaster is seeing the person next to you who's never um, ridden a, rad, a roller coaster before, seeing yeah. their reaction to it. and You're doing it together. You're not out, doing yeah. it. You're not in this one-person coaster train. You're in a group of people. Well, that's, of and course, that... you went through a single rider and you don't like the people anywhere near you and you don't know who they are and you kind of feel like you want to be on your own. Maybe. But, then but I think the atmosphere... You... I think it still adds to the atmosphere, doesn't it? Just hearing the screams and the laughter. And Think about yeah. the Tower of Terror. If you did the Tower of Terror completely on your own, it wouldn't be <laughs> half as fun, would it? Definitely. It would definitely. Add, it would add it's, it's that laughter that makes it in Tower of Terror. Yeah, so. people, people clapping at the end. You know, just the reaction mm-hmm. to it. People being surprised that it was more thrilling than they expected or something like that. That's so cool. Uh, if you've got any opinions on uh, out there in Twitter land or podcast world, um, these two new places I've just invented, if you've got any opinions <laughs> on the future of uh, Tower, oh, Tower of Terror, bloody hell, I need to put the explicit warning now on that <laughs> I've just saw. Uh, <laughs> if you've got any oh, opinions... We got two hours into it. We were doing so well. <laughs> 
if you've got any opinions on Rock and Roller Coaster, the future of it that we haven't mentioned, let us know. Um, we might read them out in a future podcast, or we might not, but we'll definitely enjoy reading them. Um, and I know that Alan and myself and Simon would love to engage with you all on Twitter in your thoughts and your opinions Absolutely. after this podcast. So uh, get them uh, tweeting away. Uh, I'm going to go now to the listener opinion section. Um, I'm going to quickly... Uh, flick through a load of tweets i did ask on twitter uh if you could send us your audio but no one sent in the audio this time uh, huh. it worked so well in the last episode uh, but i know it's quite shy it's quite difficult if you're not used to uh, hearing your own voice or you don't like recording your own voice so we've got loads of tweets and emails this time and a few direct messages as well um i'm just going to go through some of the tweets on that post Sully's Arms, now obviously we've recorded this in September and they tweeted this in August. Um, they wrote it on Friday and for the first time in ages, um, everything worked and it was awesome. Speed, music, lights, I'm loving that. I'm loving that as well. Stephanie Bubble on Twitter, uh, her boyfriend uh, said, why do they put such an expensive drum kit in a showroom and no one can play it? Um, he also said it should be at his house. And by the way, the ride hurts my head. Oh, yeah, I don't think it does that one. Obviously, I haven't been on the new version of uh, Space Mountain, Hyperspace Mountain yet, so I haven't felt the new cars, uh, the old new trains. Um, but Rock and Roller Coaster was always one that I came off, and I had no issue really. Yeah, I'd say it's the. I haven't done Hyperspace Mountain either yet, but of the three looping coasters in Paris, it's definitely the most comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you don't like looping roller coasters, definitely start with Rock and Roller Coaster because that's the most comfortable one. Absolutely. That's good advice, yeah. Uh, Mitchell um, Mitchell Disney on Twitter, um, he has actually sent us a direct message, but he said, going by the current replies, I'm guessing mine will be the most positive response. We have lots of smiley faces. And then Amanda's Ravenswood, who also emailed in later on, has said that it looks like her is, is going to be the most negative uh, response. <laughs> uh, Ella Caffrell, uh, who writes a few articles for our website, quite a simple uh, tweet, really. It's bloody, It's a bloody ugly building. Another swear word. Fair play, yeah. Yep. Come uh, straight out with that, yeah. Emily then, Emily then tweeted and said, uh, am I the only one that adores the smell? What smell? Smell? Yeah. She's, she's talking about rock and roller coaster. I don't know. The smell? It's probably the, the fog, isn't it? From the show Yeah, the smoke, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that dad's... sort of slightly fruity smell of yeah steak. my dad's got a smoke machine um, and he hires out for different events and he does buy off ebay the uh, tutti fruity smoke fluid um so that's probably what she's talking about fairness, that is actually a lovely smell <laughs> <laughs> the rock and roller coaster tutti fruity is available as a um car air freshener that would be a lovely merchandise point there i'd buy it i'd buy it <laughs> wheelie bricks at wheelie bricks on uh, Twitter, it's great fun. Not much more to say, really. <laughs> In-depth information there. Daryl Reese Taylor, not one to ride after a big lunch. True. That is true. Uh, DLRP Grids, or sorry, DLRP Gids. Uh, I like the ride. It's just that it could be in any theme park. Nothing special about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can see where they're coming from, but I, I disagree. Um, I don't think any again, other parks have done... Well, there are other parks on there with indoor coasters and flashing lights, but I don't think there's anything quite as cool as the Rock and Roller Coaster. Not that yeah, no, I don't think there's anything that's got that's got it as sort of comprehensive as because uh, I mean, Rock and Roller Coaster yeah. does have does have a theme. Uh, it's got a you know, it's got a so bad, which is still pretty rare by roller coaster standards. So I, I think it does have a full package, even if it's not the most exciting 
roller coaster that Disney have ever made. Mainly because most Disney roller coasters are pretty special. Um, Mark Johnson, um, who is at Lester Mark on Twitter, said he's a big fan of it. He loves the thrill at the start. Um, it gives you and the entire ride afterwards a fine coaster, well themed, and a thumbs up emoji. Huzzah! Uh, hey, DL, DLP celebration. A great ride, but way too short. Can't even listen to a complete song during the ride. But I wouldn't mind for a um, Guardians of the Galaxy transformation. Uh, when they put the abbreviation down, G O T G, I thought there were for a minute there I was going to say a Game, Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't mind for a Game a of point. Thrones transformation. <laughs> That's a good point. That that's something I don't actually like about the attraction is that they don't play one song throughout the ride. Like on the soundtrack of three, you've got "Loving a well, Loving a Roller Coaster" and "Walk This Way." So that you know, I I would prefer it that they just played one song all the way through. Yeah. Ah, uh, see, I disagree with you. I think uh, it's cool that they they do sort of mix it up and you get a sort of highlights, greatest hits reel sort of sort of feel to it. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. I, I quite like that actually. And the like, soundtrack of two has three songs, doesn't it? Or with all the, within the one train. Mm-hmm. So you basically just get the, the like one line from each chorus, and then that's the end yeah. of the ride. <laughs> the bits that everybody knows. To, like, put ten songs into one soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Have the entire uh, Alan, Aerosmith album. Yeah, in one in one minute. Yeah. <laughs> Alan Wheeler says uh, it goes upside down, so it counts as an extreme roller coaster in my book. Uh, so it's just not going to happen. My wife likes it, no, and I like the music. David at Disney, it could do with a re-theme as it looks a bit dated and cheap, but it's still a lot of fun, and that launch will never ever get old. Um, that's true. Um, no, no matter what you Bang do on. with it, if the launch is there, that's going to be the biggest hit and the biggest uh, part of the attraction, really. Christina KB, uh, the one in Florida, is much better going through LA in the rush hour. It feels like Woo. they cheaped out on this one. <laughs> uh, like, what is the storyline here? And I think I feel like I need to put a, a voice on to read that last line. Like, what is the storyline here? <laughs> I think this is America fighting back, is it? Being like, no, we've got the better one. We've got the better yeah. one, guys. Your Parisian <laughs> one sucks. Oh, my God. Uh, you can now tell, Alan, why um, uh, Simon was at the Edinburgh Fringe for a week. I know, a he's very good with, good with voices. <laughs> Especially the ones in his head. <laughs> now it's time for you, so I'm going to I'm going to pass over the baton to Simon Mitchell. Disney has sent us a nice DM, so you can read this one now. Go on. Yes, this is from at Mitchell Disney on Twitter. Hello, Andrew. Possibly Simon too. Who knows? In fairness, I never know whether I'm going to be on these podcasts or not. I've only been on Rock and Roller Coaster once. I did it once for the first time in February. We had a bit of pixie dust and was. Uh, and- were taken through the fast pass queue, so I didn't really process in my mind what I'd agreed to do until I sat in the seat. I really enjoyed the ride, the lights and the atmosphere is great. I love Aerosmith music, so it was a really fun experience. I came off the roller coaster asking, when the hell did we actually go upside down? I really didn't feel the inversion. Would I go on uh, Rock and Roller Coaster should it get its rumoured Marvel re-theme? Probably not. Aerosmith and all the lights are the main reason I'd go on it again, rather than the roller coaster itself. I haven't done Space, Terror Terror or Indy, so I have no plans to do them either. Thanks for the podcast, couple. Wait to listen to it this November, Mitchell. Cheeky little man. <laughs> he sent a winky face with that last <laughs> night as well. <laughs> um, now, depending on how long it takes me to edit this, um, it might take a couple of months. So November might be the possible be launch date. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially once uh, Alan's uh, got his legal team on us <laughs> and taking anything out that he didn't like. Oh no! <laughs> it's from random Disney guy at random Disney guy on Twitter. He says. 
is, and he's quoting the pre-show here, what a ride, what an experience, Ali. Love the pre-show, love the ride. I prefer the limo story used in America. I've heard rumours it's going to be re- rethemed to Spider-Man, along with other Marvel changes in the park. I'll be sad to see it go, but also happy as I'll have something new to experience. Yeah, I think that's the uh, the feeling of all of us, really, isn't it? Um, obviously, if it's rethemed, it's one of those things we need to do. Uh, it'll be sad for the, to see the old one go, but to have something new it kind of gives you the excitement again, wanting to go back to do something different, doesn't it? Definitely, and I really appreciate the quoting of the pre-show. <laughs> that's really, Ali... really put a smile on my face. Now, I shouldn't have uh, started off with you, Simon, because I'm going to have to read uh, Luke's email now. Oh, I love Luke's emails. They're always fantastic. And this one, this one, this is longer than the dissertation that I'm writing at the minute for my degree. (laughs) It's a shame you can't just copy and paste parts of this email and put it in your dissertation. Maybe I will and just hope that they don't read it. it (laughs) Hey, guys. Uh, just leaving my thoughts for the next episode on Rock and Roller Coaster. Looking forward to it. One of the opening attractions for Walt Disney Studios Parks, Rock and Roller Coaster, by default, was one of the highest quality attractions in the park due to the lacklustre roster. He's, he's always harsh with his words, isn't he? <laughs> As time has progressed, uh, it has kept its popularity both from guests and myself, but cracks have always been. But cracks. <laughs> 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 but cracks oh yeah, oh, yeah. Just, just imagine that being said in an Irish accent as well Not from guests and myself but cracks have always been evident within the experience um, my love for thrill rides is what has always enticed me to rock and roller coaster and their little argument um, that it is one of the best courses in the resort with Disneyland parks two mountains just beating it to the punch the combination of speed, inversions and pacing make it a joy for those uh, looking for the high octane and smoothness uh, is heavenly compared to the rougher rides of Space Mountain and Indiana Jones. I'm not sure on the specifications, but to me, Rock and Roller Coaster has always felt slower than DLP's other two looping coasters. That could, however, be due to the Dark Shore um, room deceiving my concept of travel. Um, it is faster, isn't it? So, obviously, the... Um, the different uh, route of the track and the fact that there's maybe less going on uh, for him when he's on the ride probably does make it feel slower, but it is faster. As for the ride theming, uh, there really isn't much to go by once sat in the trains other than come li- other than come lighting. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is he doing this on purpose? Um, as for the ride theming, uh, there really isn't much to go by once sat in the trains other than some lighting effects, smoke and uh, metal supports. Unlike Space, Big Thunder or even uh, Indiana Jones, uh, there isn't a lot, lot to look at as you whiz along the track. Um, is you whizzing along the track now? Exactly, so yeah. To, to me, whizzing means something else. So, book cracks, whizzing and something I won't repeat. Um, along the track, other than the odd flash of light or smoke effect, the reality of being thrown around a dark room is made all the more evident when these effects are broken, as we mentioned before, um, when uh, we've ridden the attraction without the music. Uh, the real star of the attraction is the soundtrack and how it is incorporated into the experience. Um, he's not a big music fan by any stretch, and he tends to avoid rock music when possible, uh, but I dare anyone to ride Rock and Roller Coaster and not end up singing along to the famous Aerosmith hits everybody knows. It's another fine example of how Disney can take something you have no interest in and make it something special. The high pace, loud beats and tunes perfectly fit the dips and turns of Rock and Roller, so much so that not having it leaves you disappointed. 
on one such occasion I experienced exactly that where I rode the attraction with none of the effects working, no smoke, no lights, no music, nothing. Maybe it was because I became so accustomed to these elements in the coaster, or because my fellow riders failed to cheer, scream or make any indication they were human, but I was bored. I distinctly remember shouting halfway through, cheer up everyone, we're in Disneyland, to get some sort of reaction out of my co-passengers. It didn't work. Oh, they must have been so boring. Um, Fans of music and the rock genre... Genre. Fans of music and the rock genre are sure to kick, get a kick or two from Rock and Roller Coaster's Q area. There's a lot in there for the enjoyable trip down music memory lane, though it does uh, little for me. I recognise some of the names from the two posters and signed merchandise, but it's something I never regret missing when opting for the Fast Pass line. To be honest, I've never actually done the Fast Pass uh, line on Rock and Roller Coaster before. Anybody not, else done it? It's the... not really necessary in Paris, no. no. I've no. Never, never missed that out. Kind of a waste um, of a fast pass. Yeah. The pre-show, well, I, on the other hand, go on. Well, I mean, I, I guess in Paris, you know, there's, there's not like a limited amount you can have, really. To be honest, if you get a fast pass for a rock and roller coaster in Paris, it'll probably just be for like the five minutes after that. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the pre-show, on the other hand, is a rather fun little experience with the band, uh, the title band's members evaluating part of the coaster. It's fortunately quick too, meaning even after several visits, you won't dread its existence. Unlike a certain Armageddon pre-show. Ah, uh, the Armageddon again. pre-show! <laughs> Take a shot. Um, despite being one of the strongest of the original nine attractions to surface from 2002, Rock and Roller Coaster is not without its problems that I can only hope has, num- has numbered the days of the current theme. Uh, the attraction's exterior has always been nothing short of hideous and falls into the same problem as most Walt Disney Studios attractions. It's just a box with a sign on the front. More than uh, likely down to budget limitations rather than creative, uh, the entire studio's park suffers from this problem, which I pray will be improved upon as time progresses. Attraction entrances, um, when done right, are organic to their surroundings and are a part of the narrative in their own right, rather than just being an open doorway. Big Thunder Mountain and Pirates of the Caribbean are two fine examples of good entrances and I feel like they naturally belong in their respective lands. References to CDs and other outdated technology has also led Rock and Roller Coaster to fall into the past much too quickly than it should have. Of course, you can't stop the advancement of electronics, but having a giant disc on your show building was probably not a wise move if there was no intention to update it in the future. Since then, we have seen MP3 players and now digital streaming take over the whole music industry, making parts of the attraction feel way behind with the times. Rock and Roller Coaster has always been a hot topic of debate over what becomes of the attraction once attention uh, is brought onto fixing the left side of Walt Disney Studios Park. With ever-increasing rumours of a Marvel land replacing backlot and production courtyard, many have called for the attraction to receive a re-theme so to, the, so to fit the new location theming. Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy have been popular suggestions from fans, but I personally see another occupant for the thrill ride, someone who can in its own way preserve the rock music history um, of the attraction while massively improving on quality and reach. Nearly there. Um, there is one of those armchair imagineering ideas I've given a lot of thought to and believe turning Rock and Roller Coaster into an Iron Man themed attraction would be the perfect next step in the ride's history. Easily one of the most famous characters to come from Marvel's cinematic universe, Iron Man's fast pace, high octane tone and love of rock music fits the roller coaster like a glove. Like a glove? Was that? I don't even know what that reference is from now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not only would this add to uh, the much-needed increased superhero presence to Disneyland Paris, it ensures that the high-octane experience we love from Rock and Roller Coaster remains long after Aerosmith have left the building. I'll spare you and the listeners the ordeal of my entire idea, but it consists of a very much um, Marvel... What's that sound for again? Marvel-centred universe. universe. Cinematic <coughs> universe. Cinematic. It's a good thing somebody knows what they're talking about. <laughs> but it consists of a very... Marvel Cinematic Universe inspired story that alternates between which train guests are allocated during loading. Each train will be themed around the different Iron Man suit from the movies, with each taking you on a journey against a different adversary, along with unique music, lighting and visual effects along the way. The current finale of a rock and roll coaster would play host to a projection mapping feast, making the most of the tight space to absorb guests into an exciting 180 degree experience along the brake tunnel. The scenes projected would also depend on what the story of their ride has been. Projection mapping wins the day. Uh, someday I will put my full idea for an Iron Man rock and roller coaster re-theme down on paper. So take this as a little taster, little, uh, of what I would like to come. If there's interest to hear more, I may throw it online someday and cover everything I have envisaged. Uh, from entrance and exterior to queue and ride experience to exit. Thanks guys and keep up the great work. I definitely would like to read all of his ideas because they do sound amazing. So would I, absolutely. I think we should get Luke to write articles for our website because, I mean, me and you don't really do it anymore, Andrew. And, I mean, this, <laughs> this, to be honest, that's longer than I think any individual article I've ever written for the uh, for the website anyway. <laughs> well, I think the last article I wrote for the website was a copy and paste of a press release. So, um, yeah, that, take that, a lot email, than me. <clears throat> that email was 1,195 words. <laughs> wow, which is That's definitely uh, article length, commitment. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, stuff. To be honest, I agree with everything he says. Really, um, especially the projection mapping bit, because that's the only bit I can actually remember at the moment, having read all of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, if you want to, what I might do, um, I maybe ask Luke if he doesn't mind if we uh, post that on our website, because obviously. Sometimes when you're listening to a podcast and you hear a lot of words read read out like that, it's sometimes better to see it on the screen or read it on paper. So um, I'm sure he won't mind. We'll maybe post this on our website along with the podcast episode so you can take a little read because it is such a great uh, email. I mean, uh, I think, Simon? Yeah, it's a nice, like, 1,000-word pricey of what we've said <laughs> in the podcast, to be honest. <laughs> you, to be um, we should have just read that, and that would have been the podcast sorted. Job done. Say, if, uh, if Guardians of the Galaxy does come to the Tower of Terror in Paris, you know, so that those characters are you know are being used. Then uh, Iron Man, yeah, would be a great fit for the rock and roller coaster. I think that's uh, I think he's got a good idea there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it would it would link in with the New York theme and as well of the new New York hotel, wouldn't it? Um, or would yeah. it be would it be weird having him in two places at once, or would it not be a problem? Don't think it'd I, be a problem. Well, I don't, based on Toy Story, I don't think they'd mind, would they? Say <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that pops up everywhere. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Why don't we just make it a Toy Story rock and roller coaster? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's better than that's better than the bewitched idea you had before. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shot fired! <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that maybe in America they just be like, "Oh, cancel building that slinky dog roller coaster." We just we just refit refit the Aerosmith one. Much better. <laughs> Well, yeah, they can just put that coaster on that that train on their coaster, can't they? And it's really block that one down. Yeah, shove Slinky Dog in. Put Slinky Dog here on the rock and roller coaster. That'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, go on, Simon. You can do Julian's. 
So, yes, so our next email in from Julian Hill. Rock and roller coaster really is a case of enjoy the ride, but this, like, the theming. The building itself, like most of them outside of the studios, looks like a temporary seaside theme park attraction. And once you get into the queuing area, little improves. If you're going to pose as a cutting-edge recording studio, you really need to keep up to date. Modern taste in music have changed, but the decorations and posters that line the walls have not. Having said that, I did like the guitar museum with the artifacts behind glass. Presumably, this is foreshadowing of how the New York Hotel will look once it's been all marbled up. I hope so. The video you see in the holding area with the band getting ready is at best cringe-inducing and really doesn't stand up to repeated viewings. Once you're on the ride, things improve and the experience itself is good. I find it less comfortable than Hyperspace Mountain, though, uh, which is no doubt due to the recent refurb. Uh, for a musical roller coaster, I did think Rockin' would be more in sync with the music, though. The BBC documentary on the making of Space Mountain showed the lengths taken to uh, match the experience with the music. While Dude Looks Like a Lady is clearly a great track, it does feel like incidental background music. It's telling that I can only name two Aerosmith songs, and the only other one I know is associated with Armageddon. Uh, the band haven't released an album for over five years, and even this latest offering only reached 35 in the French charts. That's a fantastic knowledge you've got there. <laughs> They're a tired and outdated band, reflective of a tired, outdated part of Disneyland Paris that's in desperate need of an update. I do hope the rumours that this uh, is to become a Spider-Man ride prove true. I, for one, would be very happy for them to leave the track the same and simply replace Aerosmith and the recording studio aesthetic with a nighttime New York skyline. What would be more thrilling than whizzing between iconic buildings like the culturally popular web-slinger? Keep up the fab work, all the best. Yes, Julian? That's interesting. There's a, there's a couple of interesting points there. Things like, um, I mean, you know, we're, we're all agreed on sort of it, it being sort of an old, uh, an old kind of uh, aesthetic going on. Uh, but saying that the, the you feel the attraction's not as comfortable as Hyperspace Mountain. Well, Hyperspace Mountain must be a hell of a lot better than the last time I rode it when it was Mission 2. Crikey. Wow. They must have really done something with those trains. And it's interesting to hear as well, you think that Dude Looks Like a Lady feels like an incidental piece of music. Because I, th- I feel like maybe not for the start of the attraction where you're going through the roll loops, but later on there's, there's a lot of sort of just sort of meandering around and the sort of small, small hills there, but not really any sort of particular airtime. And I think Dude Looks Like a Lady does fit that bit of track quite well. So that's a, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I do think it uh, fits quite well. Um, would if it was a Spider-Man overlay or Spider-Man theme, um, would you be able to incorporate the meat Spider-Man into that at the same time? He just like, sits get... next to you. Every every left seat and frame <laughs> full of a Spider-Man. So, that, how many uh, new cast members will they have to employ for that? <laughs> Look, you know, yeah. we're owned by Walt Disney Company. You know, they've got to they've got to go big, go hard, or go home. <laughs> Uh, Alan, do you want to take the next one, if that's okay? Yes, this is from Michael McNeiler. He says, Bonjour, guys. My bestie and I occasionally get scared by rock and roller coaster, and Aerosmith's music doesn't resonate with us. We trolled high BPM energy clubbing music one night back at the hotel, found a few tracks which have an intense three-second build-up to a big drop. It was very technical. We brought our in-ear headphones to Walt Disney Studios, along with a headphone splitter, queued up the track to the right point and quickly plugged in the splitter as the coaster train rolled around the first corner before launch. Then hit play as the three-second countdown began. It was the best ride of rock and roller coaster ever, and both of us were so into and distracted by the music that we weren't frightened. 
It's now how we regularly experience Rock and Roller Coaster. Boom, anecdote over. P.S. This is our favourite track to use, and I'm going to mispronounce this because I don't know who it is. Sander Van Dorn? Is that how you say it? Sounds about right to me. Looks Gold, right. Gold Skies Fiesta Remix. I'm going to have to email, look that up now. <laughs> on the email, they did send um, a, a link to the YouTube video for that track. So what I might do, if uh, the technology works, I might actually place a little clip of the music just about here. Obviously, what they're doing there is they're listening to different music, which is high BPM beats per minute, um, and trying to sync it up with a big drop as well. How cool is that, having to spend all that time going through loads of different music tracks, finding ones that are timed perfectly with the drop uh, and the launch as well. Um, And I I was going to say, I think think with um, Bluetooth cordless headphones now, it's much more practical to do that kind of thing on a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, well, you so know, rather than having the cord and having to have splitter. your phone out, and yeah, <laughs> just imagine trying to press play and you're getting launched and you mistime it and your phone gets launched as well as you. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you want to sit in the front seat again because you're not so going to get hit in, the, yeah. hit in the face <laughs> by a phone. Yeah. <laughs> well, I imagine this must be an awful lot easier than what Tom Morris was doing when he was working on the uh, the, the Space Mountain thing back in the eighties. Because I mean, I guess he must be using a Walkman or something, and he was. Uh, Going home to a computer and putting, you know, splitting the different tracks on a computer and then putting them on some format that you could then listen to rather than just being able to hit play or whatever and mess around with tracks on his phone or anything. What a great age we live in. It must have taken a very long time to rewind all those tapes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just do it just do with a pencil, it's fine. Um, Amanda Amanda's Ravenwood or Ravenswood uh, sent us an email. It says, Hello magical DLP totally ignores uh unless it's talking about magical dlp as the we and the yours rather than just my account i don't know uh before <laughs> just, anything... it's all about you andrew it's all about you well my name is on the podcast anyway. <laughs> uh, before... <laughs> Rub it in. before anything please excuse my grammar language mistake i am french um they've already spoke better english than i can french so that's that's fine amanda's here are my opinions on rock and roller coaster walt disney studios only uh, first thing, the facade it is pretty coherent with the local backlot theme, which makes it rather ugly in my opinion. It's not particularly uh, appealing, nor does it make you want to ride it if you don't know what's inside. That's that's quite true, isn't it? Obviously, with a lot of coasters, suppose it, it's maybe a good thing we said before. It doesn't put you off from riding it because you can't see it, but then obviously it doesn't attract you to come to the attraction either. Um, I suppose that's what the big uh, signs are for uh, on the front of the building. But then again. The, the 2D, the very boring, doesn't really do its job, does it? I find the interior queue rather well decorated, although that isn't enough to look at to make you forget about the time you spend in that room. I don't think you spend too long in there, but obviously it depends on the time you go, time of year you go. Uh, the pre-show isn't very good in my opinion. It does a good job uh, at introducing the storyline, but having famous people on the screen without even looking at you isn't exactly immersive. The final part of the uh, queue line is great. Watching the soundtrackers get catapulted while hearing people screams. All that in a dark, large soundstage really builds up the tension. Kind of like the spooky flickering lights and pipe noises in the boiler room of the Tower of Terror. 
I will split my opinions of the ride itself into two parts, the coaster track and the theming. The track obviously begins with the propulsion of the ride vehicle at a very high speed, immediately followed by multiple loop-de-loops inversions at very high speed. But for the rest of the ride, the ride gets uh, pretty boring. It is not well balanced as you get almost all of the crazy inversions and accelerations uh, at the beginning. The reason I said it gets boring is that you don't even have anything interesting to look at. According to Wikipedia, the storyline is as follows, and it listed all the storyline about uh, working with the engineers and checking their, uh, the new roller coaster experience. Basically, we are on a roller coaster with synchronized music and light effects, and the storyline behind this is that we are on a roller coaster with synchronized music and light effects. Um, I was very disappointed by that when I first rode it. In Chris's coaster, you are underwater. In Space Mountain, you are in space. Here, you're on a roller coaster. There's nothing particularly interesting to look at, and the light show is often out of sync with the music when you actually have some music to listen to. This is, to me, the main problem of the attraction. The storyline isn't really a storyline, which is why the theming isn't really great either. The other problem is Aerosmith. I don't like hard rock, but it's just a personal opinion. However, I don't think Disney Parks and Aerosmith go well together, and barely anyone I know actually knows uh, or likes uh, Aerosmith. I'd be very happy to. <laughs> I'd be very happy to see the attraction get the room with Guardians of the Galaxy overlay. This way, it could keep the rock theme, but also get some more interesting things to look at. To, to conclude, here are my ratings of the different aspects of the. Sk- we should do a rating system on our podcast, Simon. This is, this is a really good idea, Ed. Uh, so they've voted storyline. Uh, well, it's a, it must be out of ten. Uh, storyline three out of ten. Exterior decoration two out of ten. Uh, the queue theming and decoration six out of ten. Pre-show four out of ten. The ride decoration four out of ten. Ride frills five out of ten. The storyline understanding five out of ten. The state of the maintenance of the attraction five out of ten. And ride capacity in regard to popularity seven out of ten. Giving the overall attraction an average four point six out of ten for Amanda's Ravenswood. Uh, do you uh, disagree with any of those scores, either of you? Um, or, agree, or agree with any of them? I well, disagree. I, Sorry, go, you go, go for it, Alan. Go for it. I would just say that I, um, you know, definitely I'd say it's more thrilling than a five out of ten. Definitely <laughs> going by, oh, yes. by the right thrills. I mean, if it was a ten, you'd probably be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe and um, yeah, I wouldn't say the queues. I don't know, really. Yeah, the exterior decoration should be a one. Really, it should be like the lowest level. Yeah. yeah. But then I, I don't feel like the storyline is, is that bad. I mean, I, I understand. I, I does feel a bit like a cop-out that it's a roller coaster themed like a roller coaster, but it's still really <laughs> quite good fun, and at least it's coherent, whereas there are there are some roller coasters where like they're trying to get you to believe something's going on, and you're like, no, no, I'm not buying this at all. Whereas at least this one, you can be like, oh, it's a roller coaster themed like a roller coaster, and it does the job, however <laughs> easy that job may be. Right, Simon, you can uh, take your namesake for this one. Ah, so this one's from Simon Marshall, uh, at SkillsChampion2 on Twitter. Right, a subject I love. I've been a fan of coasters for as long as I remember. Uh, the Vampire at Chessington many, many years ago as a kid on a school trip being my first. As much as I like Hyperspace Mountain, uh, I've always preferred Rock and Roller Coaster out of the two. If you forget that the theming is at least 15 years out of date, the queuing is, is an awesome music history lesson. Uh, the bit with the band in the recording studio gives it meaning, uh, and you feel like you're with them. Once you're on the roller coaster, it's fast, it's upside down, and everything is through I should be. What should they do with it then? A Marvel retheme is the obvious choice, but it could be something else like Cool Runnings, The Incredible Cult or Planes. Cool Runnings is an 
excellent thought. I, I can't wait for this game. <laughs> cool Runnings would be amazing, three exclamation marks. Or why not retheme it as something completely new and exciting? Disney own ESPN, why not retheme it as a motorsport ride? Anyway, I love it. I'd hate uh, for it to be ruined or watered down, but I guess that'd be too much like hard work. Cheers, guys. The- Cool running. So, <laughs> so what? Would you have sort of like Jamaican reggae Bob music slate. as you went yeah. around? Jamaica, we have a bobsled team. <laughs> you could have John Candy in the pre-show room, like coaching you. This is um, such a fun idea. Have they ever considered doing this on, you know, Matterhorn bobsleds? Have they ever considered doing <laughs> that? Just a random like Easter egg overlay. Um, I've just uh, searched for cool running quotes and uh, my favourite one that's stood out so far is uh, rise and shine it's butt whipping time (laughs) so that links in with what NIDLP Geek was uh, talking about before exactly (laughs) (laughs) the other other idea I quite like is uh, of course Disney do own ESPN um, which half time broadcasts IndyCar and I'm a really big motorsport fan so um an IndyCar ride would be fun. Although I'm not sure the Parisians would really appreciate that. <laughs> no. Maybe Formula One. Maybe. Although, uh, Cool Runnings has sold it for me, let's be honest. We can't we can't top that. Just imagine if it was Cool Runnings with the uh, music uh, featuring... Um, I forgot the name now. The, what were the... Oh, Bewitched. That's them. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Bewitched and Cool Runnings. <laughs> <laughs> you could just a mash-up, just a total mash-up of that. Uh, if somebody doesn't create a mashup of Cool Runnings and Bewitched um, as like a some kind of digital overlay for this attraction, then I'd be really upset. Um, if anybody's got Planet Coaster out there and wants to create a uh, rock and roller coaster version uh, with um, Bewitched and Cool Runnings, then uh, send me the link once you've created it and I'll download it. <laughs> Um, if someone does that, I think we'll build them for it. You know, we'll we'll go all out. That's how good this we'll, attraction we'll, will be. Yeah, we'll build it. I'm sure Disney will build it as soon as they see it because it's like um, Cool Runnings. The IP is just sitting there, and it, they need to do something with it. Um, go on, Alan. I'll give you the the, uh, the really long one. The last email, yeah. <laughs> not, not as how long you... as it's not as long as Luke's. <laughs> how do you pronounce this name? Jolien. Jolien. Uh, Julian Van Hoodven. At Jojo underscore Van Hoodven. Hi, Andrew and Simon. No mention of Alan. Alan. Anna. And Rock and Roller Coaster is one of my favourite attractions in Disneyland Paris. Good music and a thrilling roller coaster with different light shows. What more could you ask? The feeling when you get launched is the best. And on the ride, I love how you can actually see pieces of the track. The fact that it's indoor makes it interesting. When you enter the building, you enter the themed environment. I still awe at those guitars and music memorabilia, and they have stalled out. And they have stalled out in the waiting line. Hmm. On the attraction itself, the track is the backdrop for the lights and the music. Simple but effective enough for me. So it really needs the music to function as a good attraction. I've been on silent soundtrackers, or where the music fell out mid-track, and and then the ride gets dull. One of my favourite memories of it is actually when it broke down right when I entered the loading platform. The countdown started, but the soundtracker didn't launch. So you saw the faces change of the people who were on it change from fun to what's wrong here. Lights switched on and everyone was escorted out of the soundtracker. This is like the uh, the evacuation story that you were yeah. saying. Um, it was amazing seeing, the, seeing into the launch tunnel. And when, after a little while, they were testing the launch system right in front of, in front of my eyes. It was really interesting to see the mechanism, the mechanisms of the launch and the tests they performed. Sadly, I didn't have enough time to see all the tests and ride it when they would open it again, because I had to catch my train back home. Um, 
I don't mind that they used Aerosmith to brand the attraction. I love the band and the music, though I'm well aware that Aerosmith won't last long anymore. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally. Uh, Marvel, <laughs> Marvel will probably take over the attraction in the future. Since none of the Marvel stories actually grab my attention, I'm not kind on it. It would make sense in what we see happening around the globe, and the will of Imagineering to incorporate Marvel stories into the parks, and it will be a good step for the studios, yet a painful one for my heart. But for now, oh. we can still enjoy going down on this coaster. <laughs> <laughs> Not, they weren't my words. Uh, and sing along to the great Aerosmith music. Oh. There you go. Oh, it was, it was a reference to the roller coaster and the pre-show, but after earlier, we were never going to interpret it like that, were we? Oh, bad blimey. <laughs> Again, everyone seems to... Well, apart from uh, Julianne there said she didn't, she didn't really like the Marvel idea because she doesn't really like the stories, but a lot of people have agreed that it does need a re-theme. Um, cool Runnings is still uh, my favourite idea on there. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so Simon's got our vote. That's got the magical DLP stamp of approval on there. Um, That's the so best any other, any other ideas? Profit. Yeah. Any other ideas that come across on Twitter or via email, they're going to go in the bin. Uh, cool Runnings is the one. It's been a while since we had a podcast, so um, we've had a few iTunes reviews. I think last time we mentioned this uh, about the iTunes reviews, Apple Pod. It's now known as Apple Podcasts. Apple have uh, rebranded uh, their podcasts to Apple Podcasts now. And in fact, if you have iOS device, uh, it's automatically installed on your uh, phone now. So there's even more chance of coming across our wonderful podcast episodes. Um, so I'm going to read the first one. Uh, you'll be uh, happy to know they're all five stars. All the detail, five-star review, Fulco Rocco from uh, UK. I think it's fantastic that this podcast exists to complement all the news podcasts. The danger of shows that focus on one topic is that you could know more than the presenters. That's never the case here. Every episode well-researched, presented with passion and magic. Thank you. They obviously uh, don't hear but they, what ends up on the cutting room floor, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Also, it's, that's the reason why we invite people onto our podcast, isn't it, Simon? Because um, we don't know what we're all about, so we yes. have to invite people that do. We ask the questions and they give us the answers like Alan has been doing today. Thank you, Alan. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> What's the next one, Simon? Next one up, another five-star review. Brilliant! That's the title. Job done. Uh, from the App Guy, 1998. This is such a fun podcast to listen to. Andrew and Simon both do a fantastic job of explaining all the different aspects of Disneyland Paris. It's so interesting to hear all, all the information they've researched about the various topics they discuss. Since I discovered this podcast a few weeks ago, I've been eagerly listening to all the episodes so far and can't wait for the next one to be released. Phantom Manor and Eddie Sato episode is my favourite so far. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks for the amazing podcast. Thank you. And I totally agree. The Eddie Sato episode is just amazing. Yeah, I remember... Um... This was probably off air, I think I said this, but um, I said, now I've got you for one podcast, is it is there a chance I can uh, grab you for another one in the future? And he uh, seemed very keen on that, so hopefully, um, if we can think of another topic that he would be uh, um, full of knowledge about, which is probably quite a lot of different topics to do with Disneyland Paris, then I'm, I would love to invite him back on the show, so listen out for that in the future. And hopefully uh, next time, uh, Simon, you could join me for that one. I would love to. <laughs> um, go on, Alan. We've got a nice short one for you now. <clears throat> Thank you. This one is from Peter Meredith from the UK, Woo! and it's titled Great DLP Podcast, Five Stars. 
We've been listening to other DLP podcasts for about a year now, and this is a great addition for us to subscribe to. Informative and fun. Looking forward to the next one. Yay. Short and sweet. Um, now, this one... <laughs> I always worry it's slightly arrogant of us to read our own five-star reviews, but I like what we just did there, then, was get the other person on the podcast be like, yeah. Alan, why don't you read our five-star reviews? Tell us how good we are, Alan. Go for it. <laughs> I, did, I did wonder when I said that. I said, should I read it myself? But the reason I wanted Alan to read it is because I wanted to read this next one myself. Because um, it seems like we have a stalker, and uh, he lives in the same town as me. Oh, <laughs> um, so a must. Um, at least I think this should say a must. A must for anyone planning a visit. Five stars. Carl is actually Carl McAllister, but it's Carl McCall uh, from the UK. Uh, we have just booked our DLP trip for August, so he's obviously been and came back now. Uh, found found the DLP podcast a fantastic resource for planning our trip. Not to mention the interesting history of the resort and attractions. Very professional and well researched. Nice to hear a local accent on a podcast. To, as it seems Andrew is from my hometown highly recommend podcast for anyone going to DLP or a fan of well formatted podcasts thank you Carl um, I'm not going to tell you yeah I'm not going to tell you exactly where I live in the town because there's only about 20,000 people in our town um, so, I thought you were going to finish go. at 20 then like, oh no there's only, there's only 20 yeah. <laughs> no uh, yeah it's quite a small town, so uh, I'm not going to tell you where I live, just in case you come around my house. But uh, if you do want a badge, <laughs> if you do want a badge, let me know. <laughs> I mean, how how good do you think Carl thinks this podcast is? If he's gonna if he's gonna come around to your house, Andrew. Well, we could come round for a live episode, couldn't we? Like live guest interaction. But all jokes aside, thank you for your wonderful reviews, um, and thank you for your wonderful feedback as well. Um, I fi- We've got, I think everything, every single review we've had so far is five stars. Um, and I don't know if oh, you've seen the agreed. new version of um, the podcast app uh, on Apple, uh, on iOS 11. It's, it's a lot easier now to submit reviews. And I've actually just submitted one today myself for our own podcast. That's how easy it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we've gone from getting Alan to read out our five-star reviews to just writing our five-star reviews ourselves. So yeah, Brilliant. hopefully ne- on our next episode, you should say uh, Andrew Williamson, um, five-star review. I think I've put um, something like, this is a very biased review, but I think it's the best podcast out there, something like that. Um, but we'll we'll get you to read it out next week, or next time, Simon. Oh, cheers, yeah. It would be my honour, Andrew. We're definitely on around two and a half hours for this episode, so we better move on to the end of this. Um, <laughs> it's been a meaty one. It does mean that we've had such a great time and there's been so much information. And it was always going to happen when we invited our number one fan <laughs> and, and biggest email writer of all, Alan at Cafe Fantasia. Uh, well, so before we second do biggest again, email writer. Yeah, I come think on. Luke has the uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um So let's uh, finish it off. Um, I want to say a big shout out to Holiday Hamster. Every time you mention holiday, a magical DLP when booking Holiday Hamster Hotel and uh, Holidays at Disneyland Paris or other Disney resorts around the world, you do get some added magic. Now, I mentioned this last time, and Martin from HolidayHamster.co.uk hasn't told me what the added magic is, but you do apparently get some. Uh, so visit www.HolidayHamster.co.uk forward slash magical hyphen DLP. And if you mention us on the form when you're asking for some information and prices, um, it helps you, it helps us to keep this podcast going obviously as well uh, this is where i sell everything so badges um we've still got a box full of badges left if anybody anyone would like a badge which says magical dlp and later from cool uh, 
yeah, Lake from Plaza Gardens um, has just been to Disneyland Paris recently and uh, he took a picture of one of our badges in the park on uh, his wife, his new wife, congratulations, just got married, um, his new wife's bag. So uh, thank you very much uh, to Lake there. But if you would like a magical DLP badge, you can visit our shop at uh, shop.magicaldlp.co.uk. Um, again, it just goes towards paying for the hosting um, and uh, such Man, like. And my, my trips to Florida. That is true, yes. <laughs> we, uh, your recce to Florida to uh, yeah. look at Rock and Roller Coaster, which Thank I you. forgot that's what this podcast was about for a second then. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> also as well, um, I'm totally pimping everything out at the moment. I don't know if you've seen Elliot Minto. Uh, he was in Disneyland Paris. I think he's actually there now for the DLP run, uh, Run Disney. Um, but he was there a few weeks ago as well, and he had one of our T-shirts on, uh, the big Thunder Mountain one with the quote on it. If you would like to buy such things as phone covers, um, bottles, mugs, stickers, you can get them from redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash magical DLP. I remember saying a few years ago when we started the podcast that I would never stoop to selling merchandise or getting our name out there, but a lot of people had asked me for such things and it seemed to go quite well and the cost of hosting the podcast is going up ever so slightly every year. So if you do like what we're, what we're listening, what you're listening to, um, please do us a little favour and purchase a badge or buy a t-shirt. We get a little bit of money. Not a lot, but it does help pay for the hosting. Um, introduce the next podcast, it says next. Now, we had a discussion before we went on air. Um, and if you don't like this suggestion, then uh, your tweets need to be directed to at Cafe Fantasia. <laughs> our next episode, our next episode is going to be all about Peter Pan's flight, uh, which obviously oh. has had uh, refurbishment in the last <clears throat> year or two. You're not expecting that, well because you went, ooh, yeah, it was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> you did say it about two and a half hours ago, three hours. I know ago. it's been so long ago. <laughs> I thought that was like last year. <laughs> um, we remember so Alan. Us, we remember. Yeah. let us know your opinions give us your rating on Alan as well will we invite him back it's entirely up to you uh, we'll be running a yeah. Twitter poll yes or no um, actually well the options will be yes or yes because I, uh, yes I would love to have Alan back on the show so um, yeah Peter Pan's flight email us at podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk message us on Twitter Facebook or our website, magicaldlp.co.uk. Um, nobody's sent in any audio this time, but don't forget you can record audio um, on your phones. You've all got a microphone. Hit record. Just send us in 10 minutes. Luke, if you could record your own next time, <laughs> then we don't have to spend hours reading it out. That would be great. Um, so, yeah, record it on your laptop, on your PC, on your tablet, on your smartphone. Send it in, podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk. And the last bit I need to talk about is if you uh, like what we're doing, and even if you don't like what we're doing, you can still leave us a five-star review and get in touch. The podcast is nothing without you. Uh, so before I say goodbye, I'm going to give Alan any f- final words before we uh, kick him off. Um, <laughs> Anything you want to say before we go? No, well, just thanks for having me on the podcast. It's been nice to come on it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank yeah, you very welcome. much for coming. My first thanks podcast for... appearance. Way! I'll have to send you a certificate. And the last. <laughs> no, it's not the last. <laughs> I've, I don't know if you know this, Simon, but privately behind the scenes, I've been trying to get Alan on the podcast for at least a year. Um, finally managed to get him on, and it won't be the last time. Well, uh, and, uh, you know, of course, for the first time, we've done a mammoth long episode as well, so this the we've, we've made the most of it. <laughs> uh, probably will be once we uh, put the audio in. Yeah. Um, 
two and a half. Yeah, yeah, it's a big, it's a big event. It's, it's, it's a big, taken us a it's while. It's a big one. It's longer than Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was a bloody long film. <laughs> that can be the uh, strap line for this episode. It's longer yeah, than Lord, longer of, the than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> We could be describing something else, but we are talking about the podcast. Thanks for joining us for episode 17 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Tous les systèmes sont prêts. Let's hear you, Pam. Yeah, sounds good out there. Sound tracker prêt pour le lancement. Here we go. Download complete. Rise and shine. It's butt whipping time.